Good morning, good afternoon, que pasa, mi amigos, mi llamo Wendell Wallace, standing amongst the tallest, here to talk about a podcast named Wendell's World in Sports, a show talking about what is happening on the basketball of courts, the football of fields, to reveal my thoughts and opinions and other worldly dimensions about what is happening in the everyday of college basketball, my Georgetown Hoyas, and the NBA, to talk about who's doing poorly, who's doing well in college football and the NFL for Monsieur's. And my Mademoiselles. Born and raised from the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. and Montgomery County, M.D., this skillful sports talker MC will take you on a sports field expedition that will leave you with no other decision than to make listening to Wendell's World in Sports the Podcast your main mission. Treasure the pleasure together as I discuss the important sports topics that are a must and crush and destroy it like the New England Patriots or Pittsburgh Steelers pass rush. TJ, watch out for the next episode and make sure you download, subscribe with great pride so people will highly rate along with giving great reviews to create clues for people to follow so this podcast can remain the king like LeBron through yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Special dedication for those listening in Australia. Special dedication for those who are listening in Vancouver. Special dedication for those who are listening in Los Angeles. Special dedication for those who are listening in Albany, New York. Special dedication for those who are listening in Germany. Special dedication for those who are listening in Brazil. Special dedication for those who are listening in South Africa. Special dedication for those who are listening all across the globe. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get into. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Good morning, good abend. Wendell's world of sports, so glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, wassalam alaikum, shalom, namaste. Wendell's world in sports, so glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's world in sports, so glad that you could be with us. Merci, and que pasa, mi amigos. Mi amo, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's world in sports, so glad that you could be with us, man. Before I go ahead and get into what's happening in the NFL, the COVID rampage, which is happening right now in the NFL and the NBA. Before I get into Anthony Davis being out for four weeks, what it means to the Los Angeles Lakers. Before I get into a historic day in college football. Before I get into the farce, which is ESPN trying to make Tiger Woods the father of the year. Before I get into all of those things and many more, I just want to ask you one question, man. I just want to ask you one simple question. How you doing? What's going on? Are you doing everything that needs to be done to make your household, to make your place of employment, to make your community, to make your block, to make your region, to make your state, to make your city, to make your county the most unified, diverse, fantastic, loving, harmonious place that it can be? Finding people who don't look like you, finding people of a different race, of a different gender, different political background, different God that they worship, if they worship a God at all. 
different financial background, someone from a different part of the world? Are you doing what you need to be done, loving someone who might not be the same as you? Are you doing something? Are you doing everything that needs to be done to listen, to learn, have that conversation? Listen, learn, shut up. Listen, learn, have that conversation. Take that knowledge, take that respect, take that newfound knowledge. Too late for my generation, too late for your generation to have a society where everybody lives based on who they are as a human being, not based on the color of their skin, not based on their gender, not based on how much money they have, not based on how much privilege they have, how, not based on who they love, not based on their political affiliation, not based on their education level. Are we going to go ahead and do what's right for our children and their children and their children. So in 15 years and 20 years and 50 years and 100 years from now, when the kids are in elementary school, when the kids are in middle school, when the kids are in high school and they're learning about what's going on in their U.S. history classes and their government classes and their world history classes, and they go across the year of 2019 and 2020 and 2021, 15, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 years from now, are those kids going to be able to take a look and say, man, those were some fucked up motherfuckers back then, man. You're going to try to tell me that people were being discriminated against. People were being judged on what color of their skin was, what their gender was. You're trying to tell me women couldn't do this. You're trying to tell me that gays and lesbians had to go through that bullshit. They weren't treated like normal human beings. They weren't treated like equals of someone who was straight, of someone who was white, of someone who was rich, of someone who was a Democrat, of someone who came from another part of the world. You're going to try to tell me that ignorance, that, that, that bigotry, that racism, that oppression happened only 40, 60, 80 years ago? Woo! Glad I ain't living with them dumb motherfuckers. Absolutely. My generation too late. So let's see what we can do to spread unity, harmony, love, peace, and respect for everybody based on who they are as human beings, character-wise, and nothing else. Let's start by doing that during this fantastic holiday season in which I hope that you're staying happy and I wish and I hope that you're doing everything that needs to be done to make the end of 2021 the best of them all. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, man. Let's uh, let's go ahead and start talking about what's happening in the world of sports. The week 15 storylines, COVID, 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 COVID. Causing havoc with the league, the scheduling, the NBA, the NFL. Let's concentrate on the NFL, though. 47 players, NFL players, are in the COVID reserved list. So three games. I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning because I want to get this done so I can go ahead and watch my Washington football skins play the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know. I'm out here in Vegas, so I don't know if they're going to show me that game or I don't don't know if they're going to show me the Seattle Seahawks, LA Rams game, probably the Rams game, but either or I'm interested in both games. So I want to hurry up and um, I want to hurry up and get this podcast done. So three games being moved from Sunday. One was played yesterday. The Las Vegas Raiders beat the Cleveland Browns 16 to 14 on a last uh, second field goal. Derek Carr leading them down for that field goal. Um, but uh, you have that game on Monday, and then, as I mentioned before, later on today, you're going to have the Washington Snyderskins versus the Philadelphia Eagles, along with the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles Rams. Getting back to getting back to the Raiders and the Browns, man, that just that just put a bow. Well, I guess we got two more games just today, so it's not like the end of the week for the NFL. But man, when you're speaking about on Sunday and then Monday, you're talking about just two days of just some bad, 
awful, non-interesting, boring, I could give a shit type of football being played, man. That was some poor, poor stuff. Now, Thursday night, the game between the Kansas City football team and the Los Angeles Chargers, bravo, fantastic, awesome, very entertaining game. Fantastic to watch. Saturday's game between the New England Patriots and the Indianapolis Colts, bravo, fantastic, awesome, fabulous game to watch. All the fabulous and the magnificent and the awesome and the fantastic, that was all taken out for Thursday and Saturday because Sunday, there was nothing, nothing. I don't care. You can talk about, oh, man, what about the um, what about the Green Bay Packers and the Baltimore Ravens game came down to a two-point conversion? Man, I was watching that game. I couldn't care less. It was just boring, boring by that time. I couldn't even watch the uh, New Orleans-Tampa Bay game after the – Morning games that Sunday, this past Sunday, and then the afternoon games, I was done with football. I was so doggone bored. I said, let me go ahead and start binge-watching some of the uh, shows I DVR'd about scary people on H&L. So I watched The Butcher Baker about Robert Hansen. I watched a little Robert Akala, the uh, dating game killer. I watched a little David Berkowitz. I watched the Iceman Richard Kuklinski. For the next five or six hours, man, I was inundated with nothing but uh, murder just horrible things, but it was woo, watching the NFL on Sunday. That was um, that was a chore in itself. So, gotta gotta just say the game between the Cleveland Browns and the Las Vegas Raiders. Nothing. I had nothing. Then you're speaking about how much of the importance of the game was. It still couldn't get me amped up. It still couldn't get me. I I, I guess it was the reason where it was like, look, man. You know, this is my first week off from school. You know, we're on winter break, so I don't have to worry about waking up at 4.45 in the morning. I don't have to worry about driving 85 miles both ways to go to Mesquite, Nevada to help educate the kids to make sure that our lives, when we get to be seniors, we can't do anything to make sure these kids can take care of us in a noble, fantastic, respectful way. Thank you very much. No applause needed. I'll just pat myself on the back. You don't need to. So I'm doing that for you guys. Thank you very much. But uh, this week and the next week, man, I don't have to worry about any of that shit. So for me, it kind of throws off my routine. I'm used to watching football games on Sunday, professional football games on Sunday, Monday, and if the game is good, Thursday. Sunday all day, Sunday night, Monday, Thursday. So for me to all of a sudden be at home and not doing anything on a Monday, that's something that hasn't happened in a while. And to have a football game on at 2 o'clock, what? Maybe a bowl. I don't even watch bowl games when they come on during this week and next week with their odd times and their odd scheduling during the week. I'm not interested in watching that stuff. But, man, especially when you're speaking about an NFL game. And, look, look, I understood. Cleveland, the situation that Cleveland was in, Las Vegas still trying to hang on some way to get themselves in the playoffs. But Cleveland, the situation that they were faced with, the possibility of them being in first place in the AFC North that they would have won, or they could have been out of the playoffs in last place in the AFC North and having a very difficult path to get themselves back into playoff contention. I knew all of that was on the table, but I just didn't care. I just did not care. When you had 18 players for Cleveland ineligible to play because of COVID-19 protocols, eh, Baker Mayfield, not there. Case Keenum, not there. Kareem Hunt, not there. Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, Jedrick Willard, Jadavian Clowney, Ronnie Harrison, not there, not playing. Uh, not interested. Great, fantastic. Nick Mullins, way to go. Just not not there. Not there. So, you know, help me, help me, Lord, help me. 
for me to try to uh, increase and raise my enthusiasm out this past uh, weekend in the NFL because it was not there. Now, again, Tuesday, we'll see what happens. Later on today, later on in about four or five hours, we'll see what the excitement level is for me to watch Seattle and the LA Rams. I'm excited with the Rams in terms of their performance to see what they can do to catch a faltering, to catch a fleeting, to catch a failing, to catch a falling Arizona Cardinals team who, look, the Detroit Lions are going to play hard. The Detroit Matt Campbells are going to do what they need to do when far as scratching and clawing and biting all that nonsense that Dan Campbell was speaking about at his opening press conference when he was named the head coach where he's talking about we're going to be gnawing at people's ankles and all that type of stuff. Hey, man, give the man credit. I don't know what kind of coach he is as far as exits and those and all that kind of stuff, but as far as getting players to play and to play hard, that's the Detroit Lions, and that is a reflection on the coach. So give it up for the Lions. You're not going to, uh, you might beat the Lions, but I'll tell you one thing, unlike Jacksonville or maybe even Houston, you're not just going to show up if you're the superior talented team and just expect those guys to lay down. The The Lions played hard and they're without a lot of their starters, but yet they went ahead and they did what they needed to do, which was take some of the trash talking that the Cardinals said seriously and, and whoop their asses up and down the field for 60 minutes. So for the Cardinals, I don't, I don't know exactly what this means. I know one thing though, the situation with Cliff Kingsbury, um, if the Cardinals falter and fail, man, it's going to be tougher than the fall out of the playoff race, even if they lose the rest of their game to go 10-7. I'm thinking, look, the Cardinals, for a lot of people, for a lot of prognosticators who were speaking about, ah, you know, the Cardinals aren't that good and blah, 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 and they run this offense, which is kind of hokey and the responsibility that they give to Kyler Murray is not going to be something that's going to be sustainable, not just for the regular season, but once you get into the playoffs as well, the defense is a little bit shaky. And then you have Cliff Kingsbury bringing that college-type offense, college-laden uh, offense to the NFL, which is kind of quirky, which is kind of kooky, which is kind of hokey with a 5'9 quarterback and he was under 500 when he was at Texas Tech, and if you can't win with Patrick Mahomes, exactly who can you win with? So a lot of people who thought that the move for the Arizona Cardinals hiring Kingsbury was kind of hokey in itself, and they're just waiting for the other shoe to drop in terms of, see, I told you, college coach, college offense doesn't make it in the NFL. I'm, they're just waiting for that shoe to drop, which is losing to the Detroit Lions like they did, and then the free fall starts or continues with their loss against the Los Angeles Rams. Now they've lost two in a row. If the Cardinals, if the Cardinals make the playoffs and then if the Cardinals lose the division, make it into the playoffs as a wild card, and then lose in the first round rather, rather meekly. I don't know what that says about Cliff Kingsbury keeping his job. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not calling for the man to be fired, but for a lot of people, the Cardinals, if they if the Cardinals season ends like that, the Cardinals are who we thought they were. So what does that mean for Kingsbury, especially when you have a talent at the quarterback position like Kyler Murray, but a unique talent that fits the offense that Kingsbury has? Are you then going to try, if you fire Kingsbury, are you going to try to bring 
someone who can replicate that just a little bit better, but add a couple of more wrinkles? Are you going to try to fit a square peg into a round hole by bringing in an entirely different offensive system to see if Murray can work with that? I know we're putting our cart before the horse, but if I could use that cliche, but I'm just thinking, and I was thinking as I saw the Cardinals get embarrassed, no fight, no passion, no nothing, on the red zone, as I was flipping through, I was like, man, I, this is a situation where if this could start the downfall for Cliff Kingsbury continuing to be the coach of this team. But we'll see. We'll see. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about some things in the NFL. I know I'll, I got off track just a little bit, but I wanted to mention the Arizona Cardinals, but was mainly speaking about COVID, COVID-19, 47 players are on the COVID-19 reserved list for the NFL affecting the games. Now, there's been some players who have been expressing their anger, their discontent over the decision to uh, play, quote-unquote, at all costs. I think it's more, if you think about it, if you speak about it, if you listen to, if you hear what the players are talking about, I think it's more dealing with the inconsistency of, of, look, why are we moving these games? There's been precedent that, look, it doesn't matter what your situation is in terms of who is in COVID protocol, who's on the COVID reserve list, who's available to play. There's been precedent to say, I don't care. On Sunday, you're playing. I don't care exactly who's available, who's not available. On Sunday, you are playing. Because these players, and, you know, if you speak about the Raiders, linebacker K.J. Wright, he tweeted at the league and players union. He said, I pay my player dues just to get lied to and the rules bent. If it were the other way around, speaking about the Raiders having a situation where there was a big COVID outbreak, uh, if it was the other way around, I swear we would, be, we would be playing tomorrow, which he meant tomorrow being Sunday. And somebody has a point. The other Las Vegas Raider, Casey Hayward, he tweeted, I'm sure the NFLPA president playing for the Browns didn't have any effect on those negotiations, on these negotiations. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, uh-huh. So I can understand where they're coming from in terms of, look, man, we're vaccinated. We're ready to go. So why are we being punished? Why are we trying to make accommodations for the Cleveland Browns to move the game? It's their fault that those folks are coming down with this virus, that the virus ran rampant through their organization. Why are you, why are you uh, putting, why, why are you uh, putting obstacles for us to kind of go ahead when we're trying to make the playoffs? Owner Mark Davis, Las Vegas owner Mark Davis, he highlighted how the team is fully vaccinated and will now be playing on back-to-back short weeks. He to- also took issue with the fact that, you know, last year, as I mentioned before, several Raiders offensive linemen missed time with COVID, but the league didn't postpone any of their team's games. So why is it postponing this year's games? Because of an opponent's outbreak. They didn't take any sympathy or they didn't try to do anything. They didn't try to uh, acquiesce and appease the Oakland Raiders or Las Vegas Raiders or the Los Angeles Raiders or whatever Raiders, the San Diego Raiders or the Tijuana Raiders or the Sacramento Raiders or the Portland, Oregon Raiders, whatever Raiders fan that you're talking about. So if you're basically not going to do that for us, why are you doing that for them? If you remember precedent, a situation... Similar to this happened uh, last year. The Denver Broncos were down to their, what, they have wide receiver Kendall Hilton playing wide receiver, Hinton playing wide receiver because Drew Locke and all the rest of the quarterbacks were out with COVID-19. The league didn't do anything as far as like saying, well, we'll just go ahead and we'll just move that game to a Tuesday or we'll we'll go ahead and move that game to a Wednesday. No, they 
played that game against the New Orleans Saints. It was an embarrassment. It was a joke to a football and everyone around it. But hey, you know what? Sorry, doesn't matter. So get your ass whooped 31 to 3 and learn from it. Be a little bit more responsible. So I don't understand, like, like the Raiders said, why, why all of a sudden you're going to be able to treat the Denver Broncos-New Orleans Saints game that way, and then you're going to be moving our games when you said going into the season that no, it doesn't matter. We'll forfeit games before we have to go ahead and uh, move them. So, yeah, the, I can see where the league, where the players and everything, like I, I can see where they are a little bit pissed. Eagle safety Rodney McLeod, he tweeted, so we have to suffer and compromise our schedule because of another team's mistake? Make it make sense. Now, of course, I read I read some of the comments on Twitter what people were talking about, and, you know, these fucking Yahoo's who don't know anything wanted to sit there and be like, whoa, hey, man, I work at Walmart and make nine fifty an hour. Oh, you know, cry me a river. Oh, yeah, get out the uh, sympathy violin for this guy. Oh, you're making millions of dollars, and you have to play on Tuesday instead of Sunday. Oh, my goodness, you should you should try to live a real person's life in there. All that bullshit. It's not about that, you fucking morons. It's not about what when they play. It's all about precedence. Again, why is it that you come out with we're going to be playing on Sundays or whenever the game is scheduled. This is when we're going to be playing, regardless of what's going to be happening with COVID, regardless of who's going to be coming down or test positive of COVID, no matter what players are ineligible to play because of COVID. doesn't matter. We are not going to be moving games. We're not going to be acquiescing. We're not going to be switching things around. We'll forfeit before we do any of the things. That's what the league said. The players' bosses, that's what they said. Now all of a sudden, we're, well, sorry, my bad, we lied, or, you know, things changed, screw it, so it's like, I can understand where some of these players are like, hey, man, not fair, not fair, so they're not saying, oh, my gosh, golly, you know, cry as a towel, you know, they're like, man, where's some, where's the consistency of all this, Eagles Pro Bowl defensive back Darius Slay, he noted that the complaints are coming not because he and other players are scared, or trying to duck competition, but because their respective teams were in doing what was asked when others weren't. So again, why are you stretching and trying to do things for these teams who aren't doing what they're doing and penalizing, in essence, the teams that are? Hey man, next time the NFL and the NFLPA, they need to negotiate a better plan in case the pandemic happens. I don't know exactly the last time this happened. I don't know exactly what took place. I don't know exactly what was put in play, but if we're going to negotiate something, if we're going to agree on something, if you're going to come out with something, you then just can't go ahead and say on the fly, on the run, now nah, we're going to go ahead and change it. Did you check with any of the uh, other teams? Did you check with the players union? I mean, you just, as a, I thought we were in this together. So all of a sudden now you're making rules to break the rules. So the NFL protocols now, as I read them on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, the protocols now in the NFL, Targeted testing for fully vaccinated players on and staff. Daily testing for everyone else. Mandatory masks, virtual and mask meetings. No bars, clubs, or hanging around 10 or more people. No visitors on the road. And less testing, but more mitigation strategies. All right. I, I, I always wondered, man. And I'm wondering here on Wendell's World of Sports again with yours uh, truly, Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. 
it was almost like, man, did you take a look at these games? I know you really didn't pay any attention to it because as of right now, we've been wearing masks and we've been dealing with COVID for so long and where we were a year before and all the uncertainty and the world being shut down and all these things. It's almost like we kind of got past that. And as of now, especially since people have been vaccinated, sometimes double dosed, sometimes triple dosed, is that I think that we're being a little bit more lax. I think we're being a little bit more careless in how we do these things. You ever take a look at these, uh, you ever take a look at these sidelines in the NFL? You ever take a look at the bench in the NBA? You ever see these guys? No one, hardly anybody's wearing a mask. No one's staying six feet apart. After the game, these guys are coming out there hugging and talking and doing all these type of things right up to, uh, right uh, next to each other. No one's wearing a mask. I don't know about the washing of the hands and doing all those type of things. I don't know about the sanitation stuff that's going on. The, the Washington football team, they said that for this game against Philadelphia on the road, they're bringing their own benches to make sure that uh, they stay safe. The point is, is that should we be really surprised that there's another outbreak? I know we got the Omicron virus and whatever that virus is called, the, it's another strand of the COVID virus, but taking a look at the way players are conducting themselves the majority of players that are conducting themselves and yeah you could be double dosed and triple dosed but you can still get the uh, you can still get the virus it doesn't now the, the best part is for those who are still ignorant about this is the fact is the fact if you do get the vaccine the chances of you dying are decreased greatly the chances of you spending 30 to 45 days in the icu are greatly diminished the long-term effects that you might have if you don't get vaccinated are greatly reduced. So, yes, I understand that, well, you got vaccinated and see, you caught COVID. Yes, that's true. But guess what? I'm just going to be sick. I ain't going to die. So maybe the fact that when people got vaccinated, it was like, cool, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm good to go. I can go ahead and kind of lax with some of the precautions and some of the recommendations that the uh, folks who actually know what they're talking about when it comes to infectious diseases like this are telling me. I can go ahead and just kind of be a little bit more lax. I can go ahead and do what I need to do and go back to what it was before COVID. You see that on the playing fields. You see that on the basketball court. You see that on the ice rink and hockey. You see that in the gyms of college campuses where there's been several college basketball games that's been canceled because of COVID, including the forfeit of my Georgetown Hoyas as they were supposed to be playing the Providence Friars tomorrow at the Duncan Center over there in Providence, Rhode Island. So they had to forfeit that game. They would have lost the game in all likelihood, but they had to forfeit the game. So I missed the opportunity of watching Aminu Muhammad. I missed the opportunity of watching Dante Harris. If he would have played, he didn't play against he didn't play against uh, TCU in the loss on Saturday, but I'm going to miss the opportunity to see Malcolm Wilson. I'm going to miss the opportunity to see the continuing progress of Colin Holloway and the freshmen and such. I'm going to miss the opportunity to see that, and Georgetown's going to miss the opportunity for a very young squad to get better. But when you take a look at the game itself, <laughs> I mean, you don't see anybody out there on the court wearing masks, right? You don't see, remember last uh, year in college basketball where they had those players, when they got to the bench, everybody was six feet apart and they had their own water bottles and they had to sit in their own assigned seats and they were six feet apart and all that kind of stuff. You don't see that today. You don't see that in college basketball today. So hell, man, even though they're vaccinated, I mean, why not go ahead and uh, 
take that measure again. Why not go ahead and implement more stringent protocols for those, even if they're vaccinated, to say, hey man, when you're on the sidelines, when you're on the bench, wear a mask. Wear a mask and kind of separate yourselves just a little bit. Now, I, I, I know in the NFL, you've, you've got when the defense, when the offense comes off the field, special teams comes off the field, there's adjustments, there's meetings, there's quick meetings, there's quick, hey, this is what we need to do, and everything like that. I get it, but at the very least, could all those guys be wearing a mask? Just, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying. No surprise the way that people are starting to live their lives again that COVID, uh, po- people who are testing positive for COVID is on the up and up and up. But the NFL continues to soldier on. I'm just kind of thinking, man, this is just the way it's going to be for a while, right? COVID is going to be for sports like someone sustaining a sprained ankle or another type of injury. That's what it's going to be, right? When someone twists their ankle in basketball and is going to miss a week or two, no one sits there and whines and complains and says, what happens? The game doesn't get forfeited, correct? Right? So I think this is just going to be a way moving forward for the foreseeable future of how sports leagues are going to have to operate. We just can't be forfeiting games and rescheduling games and all these type of things. Then the league, I'm quite sure, basketball, football, when baseball comes around, football, soccer and such, they're going to be making plans. They're going to be making situations palatable to continue to play the games on schedule. But this is just the way it's going to be. You just hope and pray if you're, for instance, let me just say some of the let me just name some of the elite teams, possible Super Bowl contenders in the NFL. You're just hoping if you're the Green Bay Packers, if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if you're the Los Angeles Rams, if you're the New England Patriots, if you're the Kansas City football team, if you're the Indianapolis Colts, if you're the San Francisco 49ers, if you're one of those squads, man, you're just hoping and praying, man, that you know what? If we make it to that conference championship game, win that conference championship game, and then make it to the Super Bowl, I don't know this season if the Super Bowl is going to play, play is going to be played one or two weeks after the conference championship games. But, man, I'm quite sure there's a lot of folks out there saying, please, Jesus, man, just whatever you do, man, don't be coming down with COVID the week of the football game. Please, for God's sakes, on a Wednesday, the week of a conference championship game, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Jonathan Taylor, uh, Debo 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 Samuel, please, whatever you do, man, please. Don't be sitting up there talking about on the Wednesday before the championship game or the Super Bowl. Oops, came down with COVID. Oh, boy, tested COVID. Tested positive. Oh, shit. Please, Leonard Fournette. Please, for God's sake. We already lost Chris uh, Chris Godwin for the entire year with an ACL injury he sustained in that loss on Sunday night to the Saints. Please, for Jesus' sake, do not, do not do anything crazy enough to get yourself COVID-19 because is there any way that we can get around this? If it happens, I mean, you know, put those guys in flipping bubble wrap, man, before the AFC championship game and the Super Bowl. Tom, don't leave the house. Get everybody out of there. Patrick, take your wife and your kid. Get the hell out of there the week of the Super Bowl. Zoom meetings and all that kind of stuff. You know, meetings and all that kind of stuff. Zoom. Don't worry about it, man. Do not worry about it. We'll we'll, we'll send you the game film. We'll, we'll email you. We'll text it. Whatever they do, send it. Whatever they do, technology-wise. We'll do that, man. But for God flipping sakes, please be careful. 
Aaron Rodgers, even though you are immunized. So that's just the way of the world for what's happening and the way of the world of sports moving forward. COVID is here to stay. The best thing that these folks can do, both players and owners in these leagues, is to come up with acceptable, agreeable ways to deal with this. And most importantly, on time, keep the schedule of the games being played. Keep it moving. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Merry Christmas, baby. Surely treat me nice. The greatest of them all. Otis Redding, my rejoinder music, my break music, my dance music, my get down music is going to be all about Christmas. It's all going to be, it's going to be all about the holidays as you're receiving this podcast. There's only a couple of days before Christmas, so Special dedication for those who are celebrating Christmas. Special dedication for those who are celebrating the time off from work. Special dedication for those who are celebrating the holidays, whatever way and however way that you're celebrating it. I hope that you're doing it with friends and family. And I hope that most importantly, you're happy, you're healthy, and you're at peace both mentally and physically in terms of enjoying the most you can this holiday season. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Oh, man, I'm watching a little HLN as I'm recording this right now. As I mentioned before, I'm I'm doing this on an early Tuesday afternoon. Wanted to uh, get this done. Want to put this in the can before the football games happen. So if I'm speaking about the football games and something crazy happens between the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles or the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles Rams, I'm sorry. I just want to get this out of the way. And maybe on my YouTube channel, I'll go ahead and I'll discuss it in more detail about uh, the games that I missed from today, from uh, later on today, this afternoon, on this Tuesday. But so right now I'm recording this while I'm watching HLN's Very Scary People. I've been binge watching since now I have some time off from work. So I'm been watching, binge watching late at night, Very Scary People. It's the one where they're speaking about uh, Donnie, Donnie Wahlberg is uh, hosting the show. Welcome to Very Scary People. I'm Donnie Wahlberg. It's such a good vibration. Such a sweet sensation. So right now, as we speak about David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, Rodney Akala, John Orr, the fire starter, the butcher baker, Robert Hansen, the Iceman, Richard Krakunski, Robert Durst, Big Eileen Warhouse, as we go ahead and we start these programs in which 
Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports. The most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast is going to, as he starts binge-watching all of these shows that he DVR'd, he's going to watch them again and again and again, including Ted Bundy. All I want to say is, it's about that time to set forth the rhythm in the rhyme. Such a good vibration, such a sweet sensation. Oh, I'm sorry. My brothers did that, didn't he? Oops. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm, hey, man, I remember listening to that stuff and it's like, man, white folks are trying to kill our music, man. White folks, I tell you, there's certain there's certain times in the history of hip-hop where, be honest, white folks tried to kill our music. White folks who didn't know anything about rap music, didn't know anything about hip-hop, didn't know anything about the culture of hip-hop. They tried everything in their power to kill our music, man, just like they did with rock and roll, right? When, when Little Richard and those guys came out, they were like, oh, shit, let me go ahead and put in Pat Boone. Tootie Fruity, oh Rudy, a Tootie Fruity, oh Rudy, a Tootie Fruity, oh Rudy, a wop bob a loop bob a wop bam boom. And white folks were like, ah, bam boom. Like, oh my God. So they tried to do the same shit with hip hop. They tried with, um, do 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 do. Who's that stupid motherfucker? Um, Robert Van Winkle. Um, man, I forgot his name. But, uh, Vanilla Ice. Jeez, man. I worked long and hard to, to get that out of my memory. But uh, they, they came up with Vanilla Ice. They came up with NC Hammer as a cover. They came up with um, they came up with Marky Mark of the Funky Bunch. But black folks, the black community, those who love hip hop are like, no, no, sorry. Mm-mm, you ain't going to do you ain't going to do us. You ain't going to do our generation like you did the older generation by bringing in Elvis Presley and then claiming that fraud with the king of king of rock and roll and all that bullshit. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. Not happening. Not happening. So no, no, you know, ice, ice baby. White folks were like, Oh, Hey, ice, ice baby. We're like, no, no. Hip hop was about rock. Kim hip hop was about big daddy. Kane hip hop was about heavy D hip hop was about PE hip hop was about EPMD hip hop was about real hip hop. It wasn't about that bullshit hip hop. You want to bring in somebody white, bring in third base. You want to bring in somebody white who can do this shit and, re- and respect and do it the right way. You bring in Eminem. You do. You bring in them folks. You don't bring in Rob Van Winkle, whatever that motherfucker name was, Vanilla Ice and Marky Mark and a Funky Bunch. Nope, not happening. Or you can't touch this MC Hammer. Nope, not happening. Not happening. So, yeah, man. <laughs> so when I think of the Wahlbergs, I think. It's good vibration, such a sweet sensation. So yeah, so as I watch, watch Rodney Alcala, what they're showing now is like, man, I had to get that off my chest. Thank you very much. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yeah, man, sweet vibrations. Mm. All right, getting back to what's happening in the world of sports. Let's talk about some of the games in football that are actually being played on the field, shall we, at the regular time, shall we? Green Bay Packers, I guess you could say right now, crazy weekend, as I mentioned before, boring weekend, interesting weekend, and far as some of the um, teams that lost, if you're speaking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting shut out by the New Orleans Saints, losing to Taysom Hill, really? The Arizona Cardinals losing to the Detroit Lions, everything that's going on right now, I guess you can say the main takeaway I have from week 15, as of this week, the Green Bay Packers playing the best football in the league. Aaron Rodgers at the MVP. 
It's got the best record in the league, a 13 and 3, right? One game ahead of Dallas and Tampa and Arizona. They clinched their third straight NFC North Division Championship. Okay, it's not the NFC or AFC West, I get that, but it's not the NFC East either. So that's a, an accomplishment they need to uh, be boogalooing to. They've won three straight games for the last five. They're 11 and 2 in games in which Aaron Rodgers has played this season. Okay, the game against Baltimore, they held on to beat them 31-30. Rodgers went 23 of 31, 268 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Glass half-empty guys are going to be saying, man, they couldn't beat the Baltimore Ravens without Lamar Jackson. They had to get lucky and hold on that Baltimore decided to go for a two-point conversion instead of uh, kicking a field goal and then trying to, excuse me, kicking an extra point and then trying to win it in overtime. The Packers had a 31-17 lead with around five minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, and they allowed Tyler Huntley, Tyler Huntley, Tyler Huntley to score two touchdowns, not through the air, but rushing to make the score 31-30 with 42 seconds left to go. And then, as I mentioned before, missing that two-point conversion. So they were a two-point conversion away from all of a sudden the script, the storyline, the movie, the sitcom title of Green Bay being the best team in the NFL, that's all put to, put to bed. That's all done with because they just lost to the Baltimore Lamar Jacksonless Ravens. So how, man, it's a thin line between great and uh, what's going on, right? Because as I mentioned before, they go ahead, they win that game, 13-3, number one seed in the NFC. Best record in the NFL, but how close are they from losing that game? And all of a sudden, we're sitting there talking about, well, you know, who is the best team in the NFC? Is it now the surging Los Angeles Rams? Is it the surging San Francisco 49ers? Even though their record, speaking about San Francisco, doesn't show it. Are we speaking about the Tampa Bay Bulls? Damn, they just lost to the uh, New Orleans Saints, right? Chris Godwin is done for the year with an ACL injury. What are we thinking about now? Mike Evans went down. Leonard Fournette went down. The secondary is still in tatters because of injury. Now, all of a sudden, is the biggest obstacle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to winning that second Super Bowl in a row going to be injuries. Tom Brady looked rather human behind an offensive line that didn't give him all day the throw. I mean, throughout most of the season, the Tampa Bay offensive line resembled the uh, 1970s Oakland Raiders with Archell and in uh, Gene Upshaw in terms of giving the snake Kitty Stabler and Daryl LaBonica time and time and time to go ahead and search for Cliff Branch and Fred Bolitnikoff and such. Uh, against New Orleans, that wasn't the case. And you take a look at Dennis Allen's record as a defensive coordinator in his games against uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially against Tom Brady. It's really good. I mean, hell, if I'm looking for a new coach, why not Dennis Allen, right? I mean, doesn't after a performance like this, doesn't he somehow, some way, at least get some consideration, right? I would think so. At least an interview, right? At least a hey, how about what about this guy? At least bringing them up in the conversation of where we're going to go to have a coach, right? I mean, Dennis Allen doing what he's done. Has there any has there been any other coordinator? Has there been any other defensive coordinator that has put the kibosh on what Tom Brady has been doing since he became a Tampa Bay Buccaneer? So why not? I'm not saying that he should be at the top of the list. That should be Eric Bieniemy. But I'm just saying, Dennis Allen, man, see what's happening. See what's going on, Jacksonville. See what's going on. Well, not Chicago. They need an offensive guy. Not even Jacksonville. Jacksonville needs an offensive guy. But you know what I'm saying. So we're sitting up here 
Who's the best team in the NFL? Who's the best team in the NFC? I say it's, as of right now, the Green Bay Packers, but damn, it sure is a two-point conversion short of maybe having a whole different conversation. Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley. This guy accounted for 288 of the 354 total yards. Went 28 for 40 with a touchdown pass. Ran 13 times for 73 yards and two touchdowns. He, the Green Bay Packers defense made Tyler Huntley look like, I don't know, Lamar Jackson. So moving forward, interesting. Now the best thing, half, half uh, glass half full for the Packers. Hey, no special teams disaster. There you go. One thing I have to say about the Packers this season, though, outside of New England, right? And let's take away the first game of the season against the Saints. Can you name me a bad loss by the by the Packers this season? They've only lost three, so the selection is very slim. But the game, opening game of the season, neutral site because of the hurricane playing in Jacksonville. Losing to the Carolina Panthers, 38-3. Excuse me, to the um, uh, New Orleans Saints, 38-3. Can you name another loss by the Green Bay Packers this season where you were like, damn, that's, hmm, I don't know. Hmm, hmm. There's been performances this year where it's kind of like, eh, eh, I don't know, you won, but eh, really wasn't that impressed. You don't look elite. You don't look Super Bowl contending. You don't look head and shoulders. You don't look, you know, but 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 a win's a win in the NFL, right? But have can you point, to a loss this season by the Green Bay Packers, which gave you pause in terms of saying, man, I don't know if I want to put them like number one at the power rankings. Every team except for New England and Green Bay has that loss. And I should say outside of that one opening season game on the road against New Orleans, every other team after week one has had a game where you kind of put a little pause to it in terms of, hmm, I don't know, man. I don't know. They're good. They're good. But... Maybe I'm kind of like singing the tune a little bit too loud. Maybe I'm dancing a little bit too much in terms of the hip hip hooraying about my team being the best. Kansas City was blown out by Tennessee 27 to 3 in the week seven and went through some games where it was like, man, are they, what's wrong with Kansas City? What's going on with them? Tampa was just shut out by New Orleans. Taysom Hill at their quarterback. Remember that game Tampa lost to Washington? Yeah. Well, Bruce Aaron, after the game, said that we were a very stupid team, and that starts with the coaching. Dallas was dominated at home by Denver, 30-16. to 16. Uh, The defense has come around and played great, but that offense for Dallas, Dak Prescott, uh, started off like, a, like, a, like, like an MVP candidate. Are we now starting to see some residents, some residue of the injury? Not in terms of, you know, re-injuring or something like that, but... The guy missed a whole lot of time last uh, season because of that injury. What did he, he sustained an injury, what, in week five or something like that? So now this is the first time he's playing a full season. Or is he starting to wear down just a little bit? I know that he missed a game because of injury. Are all those things starting to add up to his performance, not being as high on a consistent basis as it was earlier in the season? If you take a look at that offense, that defense, as I mentioned before with Dallas, it's great. But moving forward, did the offense give you a little bit of pause? Arizona just lost to a two-win Detroit team, 30-12 to after losing to um, 
after losing to the Rams. Now, losing to the Rams is not something that's going to besmirch the chances, or shouldn't be, in terms of, wow, what's up with the Arizona Cardinals? But when you're Cliff Kingsbury, when you have the history of the Arizona Cardinals and what they've done, the lack of what they've done, when you take a look at that offense, when you take a look at the guy as far as the physical stature is concerned at the quarterback position, and you want to be a hater on the Arizona Cardinals, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. So now they've lost two games in a row, but with the after effects of losing to the Los Angeles Rams, oh, they went to Detroit, they weren't ready to play, they played with no passion, they played with no heart, they played with no uh, substance, they played with nothing, and got their asses whooped 30-12. to 12. What does this mean for this team moving forward? Bad loss. Bad loss. Again, opening game of the season, We'll let that one go as far as the Green Bay Packers losing to the New Orleans Saints. But we hadn't had a performance by the Packers like the Arizona Cardinals just put up against the Detroit Lions. We haven't had a Green Bay Packers performance that was similar to the Tampa Bay loss to New Orleans or the loss to the Washington Snyderskins. Tennessee, they lost to Houston. Buffalo lost to Jacksonville. The Rams were dominated on consecutive weeks by Tennessee and San Francisco. I can't remember outside again of the first game of the season for the Green Bay Packers, a game, a loss where you take a look and you go, eh, not good, not good. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Yeah, that game against New Orleans, Aaron Rodgers went 15 for 28, 133 yards through two very bad interceptions. Remember that last interception he threw in that game? It was almost like he was just saying, fuck it, done. <laughs> We're losing. We're getting our ass kicked. First game of the season. Told y'all I don't want to be here. Here, fuck it. Done. Everything was coming off the, he wants to be traded. He wants to be traded. Then he held that press conference where he, where he uh, cleansed his soul about what was happening and his thoughts and feelings and everything like that. And there was still the narrative. There were still the storylines. There were still the discussions of, what's up with Aaron Rodgers? Is he going to, uh, mailing in this season because he wants to leave is there going to be any hard feelings what's going to be the relationship between him and the players and coach and all those type of things heading into week one all of that was just swirling around and it manifested itself in a very poor performance against the new orleans saints well since that since that game has happened um they've been all right now after that game against jacksonville speaking about the green bay packers here on wendell's world of sports the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. The next six games all wins against the Lions, the San Francisco 49ers, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chicago, and Washington. If you remember, they were winning. But as I remember going over the games and talking about those games, it was always like it was it was a professional effort. It was solid, not spectacular. If you remember, they were almost playing to the level at times, of the teams that they were playing. If you remember that Monday night football game against the Detroit Lions, they were either tied or they were downed, down at halftime on the road against Detroit. And they weren't playing well at all. And then in the second half, they turned it on and got the job done. I remember the game against the um, Bengals. It was, eh, Steelers. It was, eh, Washington, Chicago, the I own you game. It was, it was, a, it was a good, solid professional football performance by the Green Bay Packers, but it wasn't anything that blew your socks away. It wasn't anything when you said, oh shit, that team, man, the Packers are just fucking rolling, man. It was nothing like that. So yeah, they were six and one, but it was like, they're six and one, cool, great. 
But you still had some hesitation. You were still thinking, well, you know, you have Buffalo. Well, you know, Arizona is still undefeated. Well, you know, the Rams are doing this, that, and the other. So you had all of this stuff swirling around. Then you really didn't take a look at them in terms of like separating themselves from the elite in terms of the NFL and the NFC is concerned until that late October week eight Thursday night game against the Arizona Cardinals on the road. Remember where Green Bay held on, the Cardinals came into the game with an undefeated record at 7-0. and They were considered one of the best teams along with Buffalo in the league at that time. Rodgers outplayed leading MVP candidate Kyler Murray. A.J. Green should have caught when he should have, instead of blocking, Murray threw that interception in the end zone. That was almost like the first time. After that game, Green Bay had a 7-1 record. All of a sudden now, they own that tiebreaker against the Cardinals if it had to be in the playoffs. So that was the first time, I think, that the Green Bay Packers were truly like, oh, okay, now we can truly honestly say that the Green Bay Packers are on their way to having a real legitimate, legitimate, legitimate shot. They are one of the few legitimate, legitimate contenders still at the time, along with the Tennessee Titans, still along at the time with the Buffalo Bills, still along at that time with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're still at that time. There's one of the teams that we can now say, yes, we can really start putting a little bit of faith behind them in terms of them being one of the elite, true elite teams in the NFC, in the NFL. Then, the week after that, what happened? Mm-hmm. Immunize gate. Rodgers misses the game against Kansas City after contracting COVID-19, making a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, Rodgers was up there talking about, uh, you know, uh, you guys are taking, you know, you guys are, are doing me wrong and this, that, the other, because you're saying that I misled you, that I lied, that I hoodwinked you, that I deceived you when I said that my vaccination status was immunized. When you guys asked me, you didn't ask me any follow-up questions. You just asked if I was vaccinated. And I said, no, I was, no, I didn't say, I didn't say no or yes. I just said I was immunized and you guys just kind of left it at that. So really it's kind of like on you guys for the, you know, these accusations that that you're making on me, that I'm a liar, that I'm deceitful, that I'm a Karen, that I'm a, the privileged guy. No, 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 no. Now I have people in the organization downing me. And I remember speaking about, Hey man, as far as what Aaron Rodgers was doing, I mean, this was a guy who was up there conducting himself on the football field and such like he was fully vaccinated three or four times. And now he's up there. Did he tell his teammates? Did he tell his coaches? I mean, what's the trust factor and all this kind of stuff? Long-term effects, what is this going to have? What does it mean for the relationship between Rodgers and not just the Packers organization, but the Packers community? All of this stuff, all of this discussion, all of these things were swirling around. Jordan Love gets to start against the Green Bay Packers, excuse me, against the uh, Kansas City football team, and Green Bay loses on the road 13-7. So it was like all of this stuff, just when we're ready to put the Green Bay Packers at one of the forefronts as one of the leaders of a team that can be holding up that uh, that Vince Lombardi. And then we got this swirling around. But give it up to Aaron Rodgers. Give it up to Matt LaFleur, who's not getting enough talk about in terms of who should be coach of the year, Bill Belichick. But when you take a look at how the Packers recovered from that, yeah, that game in Seattle where Rodgers re- returned after missing a game, because of COVID and, and everything, he looked rusty. He looked so bad that he almost looked as bad as Russell Wilson in that game. 
But after that, they played well, except for that little hiccup against the uh, Minnesota Vikings. They played well, beating the Rams, Chicago, Baltimore, after that loss to the uh, Vikings. And I don't think they've played their best game yet. I don't think they've played that ooh-wow type of game. Not yet. Not yet. And they still, still got time to do it. And Rodgers, MVP, want to discuss that here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with just truly Wendell Wallace. You want to get into that? Because we've got Tom Brady. We've got Aaron Rodgers. We've got, uh, what, Jonathan Taylor? What do you think, man? Where are we going with this? You want to say Rodgers? 3,400 yards, 30 touchdowns, four interceptions, completing 68% of his 441 pass attempts. You want to talk about the fact that, you know what? Solid, but not spectacular. Speaking about the Packers not having that ooh, ah, wow game yet, that game where it's kind of like, man, you know what? They play like that. They're going to win the Super Bowl. They haven't had that game yet. And Aaron Rodgers hadn't had that game. He's had moments. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is always going to make throws in the game where you're like, damn, how the fuck did he do that? Or what planet What planet did he come from to have the arm talent to do something like that? He's always going to do that in the game, which makes watching Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers so fun. But it's, he hasn't had that like unbelievable game yet like he had on a multitude of times last season. He hadn't had that... 35 for, I don't know, let's go Let's go even higher with Rodgers. He hasn't had that 38 for 44, 425 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. And he made like four or five throws where it was just like, man, just get out off your seat and just start running around like you lost your mind type of passes. He hasn't had those. He hasn't had that game yet. He's thrown for over 350 yards just once this season. And that was against uh, the Vikings in that 34-31 loss. He's thrown 40 or more pass attempts only once, 45 against the Los Angeles Rams. So we haven't seen Aaron Rodgers go full Aaron Rodgers for a full game. What does that mean when the Packers reach the playoffs? Because that balance, you talk about maybe that balance, maybe that maybe that explains it in terms of, well, the running game. No, the running game for the Packers is 21st in the league. Passing game is ranking 10th. The defense has been much better despite some of the injuries that's been happening to them in the line at the linebacker and secondary position. But moving forward, man, I'm still looking for Green Bay to have that ooh-wow game. Their next games, their next scheduled games, the remaining games for the uh, Packers this season at home against the Browns, home against the Vikings, and then at the end of the season on the road, against the Detroit Lions or against the, no, yeah, I get the Detroit Lions. The game on Monday Night Football, that was at home, my bad. So I'm I'm looking for Green Bay to have that signature win. And with Aaron Rodgers being in the mix, I think it's going to take between the last game that they played and then, again, Minnesota, Cleveland, Detroit. If he throws up an Aaron Rodgers-type game, a statement-type game, a statement type performance against one of those three teams, regardless of what uh, Tom Brady and Jonathan Taylor do. I think the MVP award for the second year in a row is going to go to Aaron Rodgers. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Taking a look at the NFL standings through week 15. 
Let me see here in the NFC, or let's start with the AFC. You got the division leaders, Kansas City number one. <laughs> okay. Remember when we were talking about? Well, I don't know. We, I don't, I don't really speak to you except for this podcast. I remember speaking to myself and you about man the possibility of Kansas City. They might not make the playoffs. <laughs> What's wrong with the Kansas City football team? Their offense is inconsistent and their defense is underwhelming. <laughs> Not a recipe to all of a sudden win, what, seven or eight games in a row or something like that, but that's exactly what the Kansas City football team did. They're almost like, remember at the beginning of the college football season when Oregon beat Ohio State and a couple of other teams didn't look that great? It was like, outside of Alabama, I don't know. It could be a great change. It could be something a little bit different here in the, uh, in the uh, for the college football season. And then when everything is all said and done, it's like, yeah, Alabama, yeah, Georgia, okay, whatever. Same thing with the uh, same thing with the NFL, with the conferences, right in the AFC. Oh, I don't know, Kansas City, what's going on? Is that the other? Okay, Kansas City number one. Okay, so we got Kansas City number one in the AFC. Number two is New England. Number three, with an eight and five record, still Tennessee. If they continue to fall and flail, they could maybe be the equivalent in the AFC of what Arizona is doing in the NFC. New England, the number two seed. Has a nine to five record again. Number three, Tennessee at eight and five. Number four, Cincinnati sneaking back in with an eight and six record. A ugly fuck it. We won the game, so go fuck yourself. Victory over Denver. And when I say go fuck yourself, we're talking about the critics who are going to be negative toward that win. A win is a win, bitches. This ain't college football where we have to do style points. A win is a win. We're number four. We're in the lead in the AFC division and in the AFC uh, North division. Go intercourse yourself. AFC wildcard number five, the Indianapolis Colts. I think that one of the most, if not the most dangerous team in the NFL, especially in the AFC. Number five, the Indy Colts. Number six, the LA Chargers. Number seven, the Buffalo Bills. The Colts are at eight and six. The Chargers are at eight and six. And the Buffalo Bills are at eight and six. Outside looking in at the number eight spot, we have the Baltimore Ravens at eight and six. Number nine, the Pittsburgh Steelers, seven, six, and one. Mike Tomlin, huh? The job that he's doing with that offense, 163 yards total offense in a victory this past weekend at home against Tennessee. Defense, one of the best in the league. Number 10, Las Vegas Raiders. Number 11, the Miami Dolphins. Number 12, Cleveland Browns. Number 13, the Denver Broncos. And eliminated from possible playoffs. Uh, possibility we have at the number 14 spot the New York Jets coming in at 3 and 11 the number 15 seeded Houston Texans at 3 and 15 and yes last but not least the Jacksonville hey it wasn't Urban Meyer's fault just ask him Jaguars 2 and 12 so NFC division leaders the number one seed Green Bay Packers at 11 and 3 number two seeded Dallas Cowboys, after beating the New York Giants, they're at 10 and 4. Tampa Bay falls from number 2 to number 3, losing after losing to New Orleans. They're at 10 and 4 from continuing to fall, the number 4 seed, but still leading the NFC West, the Arizona Cardinals, they're at 10 and 4. And then you take a look at the wild card, the Los Angeles Rams, as of this recording, are the number five seed at nine and four. The number six seed is the San Francisco 49ers. They're at eight and six. Number seven, Minnesota Vikings. 
seven and seven. Outside looking in, you have the number eight seeded New Orleans Saints. Number nine, my Washington Snyderskin, six and seven. The number ten seeded Philadelphia 76ers, along with the Philadelphia Eagles, six and seven. I got Joel Embiid on my mind. Bottom of the conference, number eleven, the Atlanta Falcons, six and eight. Number twelve, Seattle Seahawks, five and eight. Carolina Panthers, I'm back. Cam Newton, right? I'm back on the bench. They're five and nine. Number fourteen seeded New York Giants. They're four and ten. The Chicago Bears. 15 seeded, 10 and four, uh, four and 10. And then we have the Detroit Fighting Campbells, 2, 11, and 1. As I mentioned before here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. One wildcard team from each conference who I think might be able to upset the Green Bay Packers or the Dallas Cowboys or the Kansas City football team or the New England Patriots or the Tennessee Titans or the Tampa Tom Buccaneers, or as of right now, the Arizona or Arizona Cardinals, or as of right now, the Cincinnati Bengals. You're taking a look at one team from each of those conferences representing that could beat one of the division leaders as of right now, or one of the teams that would be favored to not only make it to the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl. I think in the AFC, it's got to be the Indianapolis Colts. And in the NFC, I think it's got to be the San Francisco 49ers. You take a look at the current standing for both Indianapolis, as I mentioned before, the number five seed in the AFC conference. They're eight and six. They're two games behind Tennessee in the AFC, two games behind because Tennessee owns the uh, tie break since they beat the Colts not once but twice. But since losing to Tennessee at home in overtime for, to fall three and five after starting the season 0-3 and then 1-4 and after a disappointing loss in overtime where they were hoodwinked by bad field goal kicking, bad special teams, and Lamar Jackson going nuts ever since that time, ever since being 3-5. and five, They've won five out of their last six games. Their only loss going to uh, against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home a few weeks ago in which they turned the ball over five times. They lost 38-31, to 31, but they're rocking and they're rolling, man. They had their best win of the season, I guess, if you're taking a look, probably in the last few seasons when you take about the the magnitude of beating New England, ending their seven-game winning streak, 27-21. to 21. Jonathan Taylor, best running back in the game right now because of Derrick Henry not being there, even when Derrick Henry was there. Argument could be made. Maybe the best player, not MVP. If you're going to give the MVP to a quarterback, which is the equivalent of giving the Heisman Trophy to a quarterback, if you take a look at best players in the game, I'm quite sure there's an offensive lineman. I'm quite sure you can throw in Micah Parsons. I'm quite sure you can throw in Aaron Darnold. I think quite sure <clears throat> that you can throw in a lot of guys. I'm quite sure you can throw in some offensive tackles and, and centers and that type of things. But within that mix of players that we can actually see and quantify in terms of, hey, he's good or not good or this, that, and the other, Jonathan Taylor might be not just the best player in the game, but possibly the MVP. His importance to the Indianapolis Colts is on the same level as an elite quarterback is to their team moving forward. His importance, speaking of Jonathan Taylor, his importance and impact and responsibility for the success, at least on offense for the Indianapolis Colts, is the same as Aaron Rodgers being the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. The uh, Lamar Jackson, the responsibility he has to make the offense for the Baltimore Ravens work. Kyler Murray, 
all the things that he's asked to do, the responsibility that he has to have to have the Arizona Cardinals offense be successful. Tom Brady, Jonathan Taylor is right there in terms of his importance. Against New England on Saturday, he rushed for 170 yards on 29 carries, had the 67-yard touchdown run with 201 left to go to seal the victory. Um, hey, when you speak about importance, speak about what he means to the team, when he runs for 100 yards, Indianapolis is 8-0. When he doesn't, they're 0-6. Kind of same thing with Derrick Henry. The impact that Derrick Henry has on the Tennessee Titans. Now, A.J. Brown is out. Julio Jones got re-injured again. But yet still, when you're speaking about Tennessee and you want to point to a reason why they've been faltering, especially on offense, what has happened to Ryan Tannehill, right? Well, when you don't have the threat of that running back, all of a sudden, now that play-action path becomes a lot less scary for the defense and a lot less uh, effective for the defense. So, same thing with uh, Jonathan Taylor in the past nine games after starting the season off 0-3, speaking about the Indianapolis Colts. JT has averaged 122.5 yards per game, scored 19 total touchdowns, and carried the Colts to a 8-3 record during that span. Hello. Hello. So if I'm that defense that they have also, that front four that they have led by DeForest Buckner, I don't want to play the Indianapolis Colts. I don't want to play that team in the playoff if I'm a team like the Kansas City football team who earlier this season had trouble stopping the run and at some points still show a propensity to be run on. If you take a look at a team like the like the Buffalo Bills who's had teams run on them at a consistent basis, I don't want to see the Indianapolis Colts if I'm one of those teams, I don't, I don't want to see that stuff. You saw what he did against the New England Patriots, who have one of the best defenses in the league, right? Well, what's going to be happening if you're the Chargers? What's going to be happening if you're the Bengals? What's going to be happening if you're the Kansas City football team moving forward and you have to see that team? I'm not I'm not interested in that. Man, who would I rather see, Jonathan Taylor or Justin Herbert? I mean, hell, who would I rather see the way they're playing right now? And he's not even playing that badly. But who would I rather see right now? Would I rather see... Jonathan Taylor, or would I rather see Josh Allen? I'd rather see Josh Allen take my chance with him throwing a couple of knucklehead passes and making some knucklehead decisions. I don't want to see Jonathan Taylor come on my way 25, 30 times in the game. So right now, the Indianapolis Colts, I think of the AFC, are the most dangerous team not named New England, not named Kansas City, the team that could upset the apple cart in terms of the top-tier teams moving forward. That team could be, should be, will be, if it happens, my bet would be the Indianapolis Colts. Wendell's World in, in the AFC. Wendell's World in Sport, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So, as I mentioned before, that team in the NFC, the team in the NFC who I think at the same stature in terms of, man, you know, what's going to be happening if they play one of these division leaders? They could pull off that upset. They could pull off that victory. They could pull up that pull off that surprise. The San Francisco 49ers, sixth place currently in the in, in the NFC, they beat Atlanta on Sunday, thirty-one to thirteen. How about this? Jimmy Garoppolo, who went on a date with Kier Marie, my hero, had one of the most complete performances of the season. Went eighteen of twenty-three, two hundred and thirty-five yards, a touchdown with a rating of one twenty-three point seven. And San Francisco, just like Indy, has also. Won five of their last uh, six games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
You take the ball. I spoke about importance, an offense being important. Over the last couple of weeks, George Kittle has been amazing. One of the best players in the game. That's right. I'll say it again. Amazing. I'll say it with even more emphasis. Amazing in terms of his impact and what he's done. But Debu Samuel, Debu Samuel, I don't, I'm not saying he should be the MVP because I don't think he should, but damn it, he should be getting some uh, serious consideration for what he's doing. This man can play wide receiver. This man can play in the backfield. This man can do a, 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 a pass, you know, the option pass if he needs to. I think that he's, uh, he's right there also. The question moving forward for both the Colts and the 49ers, can you fully put your trust in their starting quarterbacks enough for them to win their conference championships and possible Super Bowls. Because for Indy and San Francisco to do that, they're going to have to go through Lambeau Field in January and face Aaron Rodgers and face that defense. They're going to have to go and play the Rams and face Aaron Darnold and Jalen Ramsey and a team that seemed to be getting his mojo back on offense with uh, Matthew Stafford and the boys. If you're in the AFC and you're in Indianapolis, man, you're going to have to go through Bill Belichick. You're going to have to deal with that offensive and defensive line in Foxborough. And a pissed off Bill Belichick who was very short with the media and was so pissed off that, you know what, he apologized the next day. That's how upset Bill Belichick was. When was the last time you saw Bill Belichick apologizing for giving Kurt short response to questions? But Bill Belichick was not happy. You think that's going to sit well with Bill Belichick next time that they face each other? Who are you going? Who are you going to be betting against if it's a game in Foxborough between Indianapolis and New England? Patrick Mahomes. If Indy wants to make it to the Super Bowl, go outscore Patrick Mahomes. Deal with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Now both those guys landed on the COVID reserve list, but we're speaking about in the playoffs here. If they're going to be facing Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. On the road, are you going to be putting your trust in Carson Wentz? Maybe league MVP, Tom, seventh Super Bowl, and possibly more Tom Brady and the defending Super Bowl championships. Are you going to, uh, Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are you going to uh, put a lot of stock that Jimmy Garoppolo can go ahead and outplay Tom Brady and beat that defense? Well, did the defense, uh, best defensive front forwards in the league, when you're going to be re- relying on that running game, can that be done with Carson Wentz or Jimmy Garoppolo being average? They're going to be game managers, period. There's not going to be a game where it's going to be, look, we're playing Kansas City there, uh, Carson. You're going to have to go out and throw the ball 40 times. Screw it. The game plan is going, for, is going to be for you to put the ball in the air 40 to 45 times and JT is only going to run it 15 to 20 to 23. No, that's not going to be happening. The game plan is always going to be to establish that run. But guess what? The New England Patriots know that. The Kansas City football team knows that. The Cincinnati Bengals know that. The Los Angeles Chargers know that. The Buffalo Bills know that. So if they're, if they're going to come a time, especially during this venture in the playoffs, on the road, if they're going to be coming a time where it's going to be like, hey, man, for us to win, Carson's going to have to do more than just hand it off and applaud first downs and pick up the offensive lineman and slap them on the ass when they do well. I mean, he's going to have to go out there and he's going to have to make not just one play, but multiple plays consistently performed at a high level. Same thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. Are they going to be able to do that? That's going to be the question for those 
wild card teams who I think are the most dangerous in their conferences to get it done moving forward. So the NFL coming to the last, uh, the back nine, I guess you could say. Playoffs taking shape. I'm watching Rodney Akala on the HLN TV show as he's taking pictures and butchering and murdering women. Rotten hell, you lousy, rotten piece of shit. Life right now is pretty good for me. I'm talking sports. I'm podcasting. I'm on vacation. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, all those good things. I'm feeling good. When we come back, I'm going to be talking about the NBA. After this boogie break, I'm going to be talking about the NBA. After I go ahead and deliver them presents to the ghetto with James Brown, I'm going to be talking about the NBA because it's COVID, 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 more than 70 players sideline and protocols, some games, some names of interest, five games have been postponed. What can we do? What can we do? But doggone it, not just that. I'm going to also be talking about what's happening in the NBA, the association, the games itself. Lakers down, Anthony Davis injured out four weeks. More pressure on LeBron at his age. Can he still do that? Who else is going to be able to pick him up? All of those things I'm going to be talking about. But uh, excuse me, the reindeer's outside. I got the presents outside. James Brown is out there saying, hey, time for me to go straight to the ghetto. Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Hitch up your reindeer uh, Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Fill every stocking you find The kids are gonna love you so uh, Leave a toy Johnny, leave a dog for Mary, leave something pretty for Johnny, and don't forget about Gary, Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto, Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. After going straight to the ghetto, I'm going to go straight back to talking about what is happening in the world of sports. I hope everybody is having a fabulous, fabulous Christmas season, holiday season. Hope everybody is staying safe and doing what they need to do to make this world, to make your neighborhood, to make everything around you a better place to be. Listening, learning, shutting up, listen, learning from those of a different skin color, of a different gender. Different financial background, different part of the world, different kind of religion, different kind of political affiliation, different kind of everything. Shut up, listen, and learn, passing it along to our children and then their children and then their children. Could you imagine what the textbooks are going to be like in the year 2064? Can you imagine that? Man, it's going to be something else. I'm more than likely going to be glad that I'm not going to be around to see that, but, uh, Hopefully, the children in 10th grade, 11th grade, when they're reading about U.S. history, can take a look at what happened in 2020 and the pandemic and George Floyd and even a little bit before that, Colin Kaepernick and such, and say, you're going to try to tell me that these people were so intolerant 
that these people were so ignorant, that these people people were so close-minded, that these people were so racist, that these people were so foolish that they actually they actually had those thoughts and feelings. You're going to try to tell me black folks and the police, their relationship was that bad, bad because the police had a tendency on a consistent basis to violate the civil rights and the human rights of black people just because of the color of their skin and they got away with it? Damn, that's something else. I am so glad that it is not like that today. Hopefully, in the year 2042, the year 2084, the year 2116, that those discussions can be had. And maybe the kids of the day of how they look at slavery and how they look at uh, how things were in the 19th century and they shrug and they say, not happening to me here, so why do I care? Maybe those things, the way the world is going to be run in terms of everybody, mostly everybody, almost everybody being judged on who they are as human beings and, any, and nothing else, maybe that'll be the... Thing of the day. We can only hope, but it starts right now. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us getting into the NBA, getting into the COVID situation, which is the NBA COVID, 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 more than 70 players sidelined and protocols, five games postponed this week. The rising cases had led to seven postponed games this month. Now, for those who might be asking, are we going to shut down the season? I noticed that the NHL is made the decision to shut down the league until the start of, uh, I guess, after Christmas or something like that. So is this going to be a situation where the NBA is going to do the same thing? Could the word bubble be brought into the conversation? No, 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 no. Unlike the NFL, for the most part, the NBA is going to uh, keep on the trucking. It's going to keep on the moving. The schedule says we're going to play now. For the most part, the NBA, that's what they're going to do. Teams and players who have fought the, who have felt the rage of COVID-19, five Cleveland Cavaliers players tested positive for the virus on Sunday. They joined two teammates already in protocols. The Brooklyn Nets have 10 players in protocols, including stars Kevin Durant, James Harden, and the unvaccinated and returning Kyrie Irving. The Boston Celtics have six players in protocols, as do the New York Knicks and the Sacramento Kings. The Chicago Bulls had 10 players in protocol before the NBA parked them last week, postponing their games on January, excuse me, on December 14th and December 16th. Now, some of the players who have been in NBA health and safety protocols. Listen to these names, man. Trey Young, Kevin Durant, Giannis, James Harden, Anthony Edwards, Jordan Poole, uh, Andrew Wiggins, Lakers coach, Los Angeles Lakers coach, Frank Vogel, Rick Carlisle of the Indiana Pacers, Alvin Gentry, interim coach of the Sacramento Kings. They're all in protocols. Masai Ujiri, the Toronto Raptors president, he's in protocol. The Toronto Raptors announced on December 15th that it would play its home games at 50% capacity. And this policy took effect on December 18th against the Golden State Warriors. So, Hey man, this is this is something else. So now we have the NBA, the NBA Players Association agreeing on revising some rules for signing replacement players amid the COVID-19 outbreak. This was first reported by uh, Sharm Sharania of The Athletic. He reported that the NBA and NBA PA have agreed to revise rules regarding the signings of replacement players amid the league-wide COVID-19 outbreak as it led to multiple canceled games and many players forced out due to the league's health and safety protocols. These new rules will go into effect immediately and last through at least 
January 19th, teams will be allowed to sign one replacement player for every player under contract that uh, tested positive for COVID-19. And the league will require teams to sign at least one player once two have tested positive. So basically what we're seeing here is that the NBA is going to be moving on. Now, now the best part is, is that while all those players I mentioned are in protocol or have been in protocol for the season, we haven't had anybody who has had really serious symptoms. Now, the league is what's spouted, what, a 90-something percent percentage rate of players who have been vaccinated. So again, just understand, being vaccinated does not mean that you're immune to getting the virus. What it does mean, though, is that your chances of dying from the virus, the chances of you getting, you know, really sick from the virus, the chances are greatly diminished when that happens, when you go ahead and get the virus. So Kevin Durant, James Harden, all these guys who are in protocol, because they got the virus doesn't mean that they're having any type of symptoms. They could be asymptomatic, but they have to do what they have to do, even though, again, they're not showing any type of uh, symptoms from getting the virus. So in some cases, if you're speaking about Kevin Durant, if you're speaking about James Harden, you're speaking about a couple of others, man, this is almost a blessing in the side in disguise sort of kind of because these guys have been logging a whole lot of minutes Kevin Durant had been logging what close to 40 minutes for the last couple of games before he was put on the shelf because uh because of COVID and put in protocol so I mean this was a situation where he played major minutes in a victory in Atlanta a couple of Fridays ago then he went ahead and dropped 51 against the Detroit Pistons and he played I think close to 40 minutes and even Steve Nash made the comment that hey man we're playing Kevin Durant way too much and yes if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you want to win a championship and you're supposed to be the best team in the Eastern Conference you shouldn't be struggling and fighting mightily with the Detroit Pistons losers of I think about 184 games in a row right now so yes for some cases COVID can be seen almost as a blessing. Again, this is a situation in the world that we're living in today, especially the way the NBA away these teams are going right now. As I mentioned before, I mean, you have players on the bench, a lot of them not wearing masks. The game itself lends to the fact that you be you could catch COVID, especially if players are asymptomatic. I don't know what their what their routine is in terms of testing is concerned. I don't know if they're being tested every day or every other day. I don't know exactly. I don't know what the difference is between players who have been vaccinated or those who are not vaccinated. I don't know. So the way the game is played naturally is speaking about these players in close proximity, the coaches shoulder to shoulder next to each other on the bench, the players next to each other on the bench, the huddles and everything like that, no one is masking up. So it's not surprising that, yeah, there seems to be an outbreak of COVID-19. Again, the good part is the fact that these guys are either asymptomatic or having very little to no symptoms. But then again, if you're vaccinated, you can kind of sort of kind of a little bit get away with that, knowing that, hey, in all likelihood, the, the possibility of you facing serious complications from coming down with the virus are mitigated because you have been vaccinated. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So because of what's been going down, guess who's back? Guess who's back? Well, sort of, kind of. Guess who's back? Kyrie Irving, as I said, kind of. He's going to enter the, he entered the NBA health and safety protocol the day after the Nets said he would return. 
He entered the health and safety protocols less than 24 hours after the team announced his return. I already said that. Um, he announced it on Saturday, and he was placed on it later on that day. Um, I don't know, man. This is a situation where I think the plan is, hey, let's get Kyrie in, her, in here, and we can go ahead and we can see what we can do about maybe saying, hey, Kyrie, you know, the fact that you're back with your brothers, the fact that you're having yourself a good time, the fact that you're playing basketball again, the fact that you're back with your homies. This was a situation where him, DeAndre Jordan, who's no longer with the Brooklyn Nets, he's now with the Los Angeles Lakers, but the conversations during those Olympic games when him and Kevin Durant were on the Olympic team, they were talking about how great it would play to uh, how great it would be for those guys to play with each other and then how they orchestrated the opportunity for those guys to go to New York City and Brooklyn and play together and really because of injury to Kevin Durant and then an injury in the playoffs to Kyrie Irving that really didn't fulfill the true potential of what it would be like for those guys to play each other and now with COVID and the situation for Kyrie not to get vaccinated and because of that the decision by the Nets organization for him to stay away is a situation now where it's like hey man Kyrie Irving again has never said that I am not getting vaccinated because I don't trust the government or I don't trust the stuff of my body and anything like that I just think it's a personal choice for him not to take the vaccine because someone is telling him what to do and as a grown man there's certain things that you should be able to decide for yourself. And he decided that he's not gonna tell, he's not gonna have someone tell him that he needs to take the vaccine. So is it out of principle or whatever? With Kyrie, you never know. But that's the the reason. So he's not anti-vaccine as he stated before. So what the Brooklyn Nets are maybe hoping is that he will get back with his teammates. He'll get back with Durant. He'll get back with James Harden. Those guys will explain to him the opportunity that they have to win a championship together, especially James Harden. Kevin Durant already has two uh, rings. Kyrie Irving already has one. James Harden, I would be, I would guess would be maybe the most vocal in terms of, hey man, we need you back because I want to win that championship. That's the only thing missing from my legacy. I've won an MVP. I've been considered one of the greatest players of my generation. I'm going to go down on one of the greatest scores in NBA history. I've got, I've got everything, but you know, you're talking about validating greatness. What would it be for James Harden to win an NBA championship on top of everything else that he's accomplished in his NBA career so far? We notice the elevation of Kevin Durant in terms of his greatness as a basketball player when he won not one but two championships with the Golden State Warriors. You can talk about all you want to about how he joined a loaded team and how he joined a team that the year before had the best record in NBA history. You can do all those things, but let me tell you something. Two rings versus zero rings in terms of his legacy is concerned, in terms of his ranking as far as all-time greats are concerned, greatly changes when you win that championship, regardless of how you get it with the possible exception if that you're in year 18 of your NBA career and you're just sitting on the bench while the youngins of the next generations, the superstars of the next generations go ahead and win themselves a championship. See Mitch Richmond on that one. But um, so James Harden should be the one who's saying, Kyrie, man, we need you back. We need you back. And maybe possibly you never know with Kyrie, but if there's going to be any chance for that to happen, any chance for that to come to fruition in terms of, Kyrie changing his mind and getting the vaccine and going ahead and joining his teammates for the rest of the season. I don't know if it's going to be Steve Nash. It's not going to be Sean Marks. It's not going to be the owner, Joe Asai. It's going to be his teammates. It's going to be his brothers. It's going to be the um, 
players and his teammates that he professes that he loves so much. So maybe that's going to be the deal. And they need him. But the team is depleted like it is. They need Kyrie. He's one of the best players in the league. One of the most uh, genius of basketball players on the offensive end, the way he can create, the way that he can score. When Kyrie is locked in and loaded and ready to go and really concentrating on basketball, man, he's still a top 12, top 15 player at the very least. So this whole thing was put together. This quote-unquote super team for Brooklyn was put together with Kyrie Irving in mind. And he seemed during the season last season where he made this decision to have James Harden be the point guard and and, and, and all those type of decisions, it, it just seemed like Kyrie was starting to fit in and do some things. But an injury to Kyrie during the playoffs knocked, knocked him out and diminished the chances greatly of the Brooklyn Nets winning the championship. Now, here's the opportunity for him to uh, do this. Both these guys, <clears throat> all, these, all three of these guys, <clears throat> all three of these guys are past their age 30 mark, so... There's not going to be too many chances. We can speak about how talented Brooklyn is full strength, but how much do you give the trio of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, how how much is the window open for them to win championships? They missed their opportunity last season, not by only any fault of their own, but you give them, what, three more cracks at this in terms of being real, true, elite championship contenders out there for them to uh, get that ring? together as a uh, trio. So any opportunity loss is an opportunity that, you know, you, you can't count on four or five or six years down the road. When you take a look at the age, when you take a look at the mileage, when you take a look at the, everything that's been going on with these three, you just take a look at the NBA landscape in particular. So Kyrie Irving going to join the Nets. The Nets need them. They need the scoring. They need the depth from the backcourt. Uh, James Harden needs him because he's been playing major minutes and carrying a heavy load. Kevin Durant needs him because he's been playing heavy minutes and carrying a, le- a heavy load. So every way, shape, or form, even if it's just going to be on the road, even if it's going to be a situation where there'd be sometimes Kyrie doesn't practice with the team because of the uh, city ordinance and regulations and everything that go with that, man, as long as Kyrie can give you something, again, even if it's on the road, even if it's part-time, something is better than nothing for the Brooklyn Nets, and who knows? With Kyrie, it might be a situation where he starts playing with these guys and says, I love this so much that he gets vaccinated. Or, with this being Kyrie Irving, he could say, this is fun, but I'm not going to get vaccinated, and see you later, I'm going to go back to retirement and go to Pluto and never be seen again. With Kyrie, you never know. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Los Angeles Lakers, 16 and 15, are going to be without LeBron James. Well, they're going to be without Anthony Davis, excuse me. They're not going to be without their other superstar, Anthony Davis, for at least four weeks with an MCL sprain. What does that mean for the Lakers moving forward? Right now, as I mentioned before, they are in the seventh spot in the Western Conference right now, nine games behind the Phoenix Suns, who sit on top of the conference with a 24-5 and record. The Golden State Warriors, 25-6. and The Utah Jazz, 21-9. and The Memphis Grizzlies, 19-13. Denver Nuggets, 15-14. and Those LA Clippers, 16-15. and And then, as I mentioned before, tied. But in the seventh spot, the same record, the Los Angeles Lakers, 16-15. and Moving forward. It's going to be LeBron James. LeBron James, even at the advanced age, even though he's playing really good basketball, the responsibility 
of uh, doing what we need to do is going to be placed on him. The Lakers have been pretty, I would say, inconsistent so far. Some of the teams that they've beaten is kind of like, okay. And LeBron looked good against the Orlando Magic. Okay, Orlando right now is 6-25. and So can we calm down a little bit? This should be the time when Russell Westbrook should try to step things up a little bit more because of Davis being out. The responsibility for him should be greater in terms of having an impact on the game. Really don't see anybody else. I guess DeAndre Jordan is going to get a few more minutes. But this is going to be a situation. Hey, man, someone else. It's Taylor Horton Tucker. Another guy, Wayne Ellington, is back providing some outside shooting. But LeBron's going to have to be the man. How much can LeBron be the man? How long can LeBron be the man? What is the impact now of LeBron being the man? LeBron, of course, at the age that he's at, the advanced age basketball-wise that he's at, he's not going to be the LeBron James when he was with the Orlando Magic. He's not going to be the LeBron James of what he was the second time around with the Cleveland Cavaliers. But this iteration of LeBron James right now in 2021-2022 could still see him being top five, top six. Right now, you would have to say the top players in the NBA, Nikola Jokic, Stephen Curry, Giannis Adenokupo, and who would be number four? Number four crossed my mind, but then it left my mind. But uh, who was it? Giannis, Steph, Giannis, Steph, Djokovic, and who else? Oh, they'll come to me a little bit later on. But LeBron is on the outside looking in in terms of uh, of, of greatness. Oh, Kevin Durant. Holy smokes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm only forgetting the best player of, of, the best player of them all. Kevin Durant, number one. Steph Curry, number two. Nikola Jokic, number three. And... <laughs> This is what happens when you get old. Durant, Jokic, Steph Curry, and Giannis. So, man, that's, yeah, that's, uh, those are the top four. LeBron, not as great as those guys, but I would still say that he's, he's close enough to where, you know, he's still an impact player in this league. Again, how long can this last? How long can he keep it up? That will be the question. But they're going to need Anthony Davis. They're going to need Anthony Davis, and they're going to give him back, I would probably say, in five weeks. How long is it going to take for him to, uh, get back to 100% or close to 100% healthy. I don't know. Davis, for the most part, was was playing subpar for his standards are concerned. I don't think that he's going to be a guy that ultimately this season is going to have to take the mantle of best player on this team if they're truly going to reach the expectations that they set themselves for when they made the trade for Russell Westbrook in a couple of seasons ago when they made the trade to bring in Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, while winning that championship ring, still I'm looking for that guy to be the player. At 28 years old and his physical prime, he should be the guy to lead the Lakers. If we could get Anthony Davis at that level to go along with LeBron James, then everything, everybody, everyone's expectation, who was a Los Angeles Lakers fan, those dreams, those aspirations, those goals will be fulfilled because then you will truly be talking about two guys who are the top six, top seven players in the NBA if Anthony Davis can elevate his game. Now, the way that he was playing so far this season, coming off this four-week injury, can he get to that level? Only time will tell. But for those folks who's just sitting around, look, if you're sitting around waiting for Russell Westbrook to uh, have a large impact, you're going to keep waiting. Don't, uh, don't, don't, don't value him in that uh, in that way. But Davis and James, those that duo, 
Whoever's going to be Batman and Robin, if James is going to have to be Batman, don't think the Lakers are going to reach the expectations. If somehow, someway, Anthony Davis shocks the hell out of us and comes back bigger, better, stronger than ever, at least better than what he's been playing so far, the Lakers have a chance. But four weeks from now, we'll find out. But uh, the NBA continuing to move despite COVID. They're not shutting down anytime soon. The league just keeps a moving and a moving and a moving and a moving. Someday at Christmas, men won't be boys Playing with bombs like kids play with toys One warm December, our hearts will see A world where men are free Last segment of the program, last segment of the podcast, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Someday at Christmas, I'll do my podcast show and let everybody know that I'm good to go into the flow, talking about sports, what's happening on the football field and basketball courts. Special dedication going out to all my fans and to the sweet young ladies. Yes, I'm still the man. Won't you stop by my place and see that I'm the skillful MC from Washington, D.C., living in Las Vegas for the past 18 years, living in Las Vegas, I still give cheers. I'm still above all my peers. That's why you see them tears. Going straight down to their face is such a disgrace. They know that no one can take my place. When it comes about talking about sports, I'm definitely number one. Grab this microphone and have some fun. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad. Stevie gets me going like that. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Going to be going ahead and getting this done so I can continue watching my very scary people on HLN talking about Richard Kuklinski right now. Just a word of advice to these people who are running around when I listen to these podcasts, when I uh, watch these shows and they're talking about, I can't believe that Rodney Akala, I can't believe that Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy and Gary Ridgway and Wayne Williams and Dennis Rader and Jeffrey Dahmer and William Bonin and Patrick Kearney and all these guys. Man, I can't believe that they killed all these people. They seem to be such nice people. You would never suspect that these people would be able to do such atrocities. Well, yeah, no shit. That's the reason why Bundy killed about 50 to 70 people. That's why Ridgeway killed over 100 prostitutes. That's the reason why Wayne Williams killed about 22-something black folks, black kids down in Atlanta. That's the reason why those things happened. That's the reason why Rodney Yakala went from New York to L.A. and everywhere, everywhere in between and was killing people. That's because they didn't look like people who could do that. Honest Tool looked like he could kill people like that, which is the reason why Honest Tool, despite his best efforts, never got to the number of murders that these other prolific serial killers did. Hello? Serial killing is not my thing. The people who catch them, the criminal profilers, those are my guys. Roy Hazelwood, John Douglas, that's what I'm talking about. So 
after the football, professional football games are over in the NBA, that's what I'm going to be binging on here on my week off from school. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. All right, let me go ahead and get into an historic day in college football. As we know, if you don't know, let me tell you, this past Wednesday was the National Recruiting or it's National Signing Day, College Football National Signing Day. Everybody knows, if you don't know, again, let me tell you that Nick Saban is not Nick Saban. Alabama with Nick Saban is not Alabama with Nick Saban without high-level recruits. Nick Saban is not winning championships with two- and three-star recruits. Kirby Smart doesn't have the number one team or didn't have the number one team throughout the regular season in college football because he had a boatload of one- and two-star recruits. Ryan Day does not have the juggernaut at Ohio State because he's finishing last as far as recruiting is concerned in the Big Ten. So the lifeblood to a very successful program, almost as much as getting themselves a coach who can handle that high talent, uh, high level of talent, is the talent itself. So on Wednesday, cornerback Travis Hunter, the number two ranked recruit in the country, He flipped his commitment from Florida State to Jackson State to become the first five-star high school football prospect to sign with an HBCU since the ESPN ranking started in 2006. Hunter is a 6'1", 165-pound prospect out of Collins High School in Swanee, Georgia, way down upon the Swanee River, I guess, and had been committed to Florida State since since March of 2020, but he flipped and he's going to an HBCU school. That's the flip that I'm talking about. What he said on his Twitter post this past Wednesday, he said, Florida State has always been a beacon for me. I grew up down there. That's where my roots are. I never doubted that I would play for the Seminoles. It's a dream that is hard to let go of, but sometimes we are called to step into a bigger future than the one we imagined for ourselves. For me, that future is at Jackson State University. The coach of Jackson State University, primetime Hall of Famer, one of the best cover quarterbacks who's ever played the game, Deion Sanders. So at the signing ceremony, Hunter had three baseball caps on the table in front of him as he prepared to make his announcement. It was Florida State, Auburn, and Georgia, right? So he tossed them off the stage one by one and unzipped his sweatshirt to reveal a t-shirt that read, believe he then called a Jackson State cap That was tossed to him from the crowd, put it on his head, and there we go. Congratulations, young man. Congratulations. What he said about the decision to go to an HBCU school, what he said in this post was, historically black colleges and universities have a rich history in football. I want to be part of that history and more. I want to be part of that future. I am making this decision so that... I can light the way for others to follow, make it a little easier for the next player to recognize that HBCU is uh, maybe everything you want and more. And Dion said that he planned to have uh, Hunter play both ways, stepping in at both wide receiver and defensive back. So, hey, man, congratulations. I've always said this before. If you're good enough, don't worry about going to an Alabama if you're football if you're a football player. 
If your main reason to go to an Alabama or an Oklahoma or a USC or a Clemson or an Ohio State or a Georgia or some school in the SEC or some school in the Big Ten or ACC or Big 12, if your main thing is because, well, I need to maximize my opportunity to get to the NFL, man, let me tell you something. If you can play, they'll find you. There's nowhere to hide. If you're a first-round talent, if you got real talent, if you got NFL talent, they will find you without question. You don't need to go to an Alabama. You don't need to go to a USC. You don't need to go to an Oregon. You don't need to go to an Ohio State. You don't need to go to an Oklahoma. You don't need to go to a Clemson. You don't need to go to any of those schools if you're looking to make it in the NFL. Now, I know the argument can be, well, the situation is the fact that, you know, the facilities are greater and because of the coaching and because of the facilities and because of the ways they can get better and because of the weight room and because of the analytics and because of the next level technology of all those type of things, I can really, really maximize my potential. Well, let me tell you something, man. Who in Alabama, who, now this guy, Hunter, was a cornerback, right? Okay. Who at Alabama, who at Ohio State, who at USC, who at Clemson, who at Florida or Florida State, who at Miami, who at Texas, who at Oklahoma can teach you the cornerback position better than Deion Sanders. Hall of Fame cornerback, who, by the way, was very astute when it came to the nuances of how to play cornerback. Deion, while being an extraordinary athlete, maybe one of the most extraordinary athletes we've seen in the past 50 to 75 years. Michael Irvin said that the greatest. When Deion Sanders came to the Dallas Cowboys, Michael Irvin was amazed how much time and effort and preparation that Sanders put into his craft, how much detail he put into his craft to be the best quarterback that he could be. So if you're if you're someone like this kid right here who broke it down to Georgia, Florida, Florida State, Auburn, or whatever, are any of those guys going to be able to teach you the nuances and how to play the cornerback position better than Deion Sanders? If they're going to be a strength coach, if they're going to be a workout machine, if they're going to be a practice facility, if they're going to be a film room, if they're going to be a dorm room that's going to be better in terms of getting you to be a better football player or getting you for you to for you to be a better prospect for the NFL better than what Deion Sanders can do? No, of course not. And we're only speaking about on the field. I think for a lot of these guys, when it comes to the experience the college life itself, because look, in the NBA or, or college basketball, if you're good enough, you only go to uh, college for six months. You don't even go for the spring semester. You go there, you play your basketball, the season's over, and then you leave. So the time that you are on campus, if you're a high-prospect basketball player, is a lot shorter than it is if you're a five-star recruit being a football player. If you're a five-star recruit being a football player, the earliest you can go to the NFL, I believe, is three years. So if you're going to be spending three years minimum at a university, I think in certain situations, and in fact, a lot of situations, instead of going to a school, and of course, it all depends on where where you're coming from. It all depends on what environment that you're coming from. It also depends on what type of environment that you want to be in or what type of environment can foster the best opportunity for that for for you to become the best person not just football player but best 
person it can be. Remember, this isn't college basketball. Again, where you're there for six months and you really, if you don't want to, you really don't need to uh, inundate yourself. You really don't need to integrate yourself into the everydays or into the life of being a college student. You don't need to do that because you're there to play basketball, plain and simple. Hell, you can go ahead, sign up for courses in your classes, don't show up for for a class for the most part and still be fine. In college football, you can't do that if the coach is doing it right. So for a lot of these black kids who come from impoverished environments, especially when we're speaking about communities of color, a lot of these guys, they don't have the opportunity to know what black excellence is really all about. A lot of times they're coming from neighborhoods. A lot of times they're coming from communities. A lot of times they're coming from areas where the most renowned and the most revered person on that street is up to no good. It's up to doing nefarious things. It may be selling drugs. It's out there shooting people. It might be that person in the gang. That's where a lot of these folks, or that's where a decent number of these recruits are coming from. The environment that they're coming from. They've never been associated. They've never had the experience. They don't know anything about multitudes of black people, their young, their age, who are well-spoken, who are articulate, who are looking to become doctors and nurses and lawyers and CEOs and, 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 and those type of fields and architects and such. A lot of these folks, guess what? They come from the side of the track where they're not from stable homes. They're not from two-parent homes. All of a sudden now, they're going to HBCUs. They're going to Howard Universities. They're going to Morris Browns. They're going to Morehouse, and if you're a female, going to Spelman. They're going to North Carolina A&T. They're going to Virginia Union. They're going to Norfolk State. They're going to Florida uh, A&T. They're going to these black colleges, and all of a sudden, they're seeing black folks of all different levels when we're speaking about they're seeing black folks who are coming from two parent homes where the mother's a doctor and the father's a lawyer they're coming to see a whole bunch of Heathcliff Huxtables and Claire Huxtables out there all of a sudden now this ignorance that has been brought upon them because of their environment of saying well to be a real black person you have to be poor to be a real black person you have to be ignorant in so many ways if you're a real black person you can't speak with intelligence or articulation if you're a real black person you can't be making good enough grades to be able to go to such prestigious HBCUs as a Howard or a Tuskegee or something like that all of a sudden now these athletes are walking on this campus and they're seeing a whole new group of black people who they've never been associated with and now they definitely have to step up their game and now they're seeing adults now they're seeing people who would be around their father's age as professors and all of a sudden they're teaching them that knowledge and all of a sudden they're setting that example of what real strong intelligent black men and women look and sound like now all of a sudden now the the, the, the folks who are hanging out on the corner, the folks who ain't doing anything with their lives, the black folks who are sitting around talking about the white man's doing this wrong for me and the last president did me wrong here and the reason why I'm not doing anything with my life because the white man is keeping me down and that's the reason why I'm not looking for a job and that's the reason why I'm selling drugs and that's the reason why I'm in a gang and that's the reason why my main aspiration in life is to be in prison. All of a sudden now that bullshit, all of a sudden now that lie, all of a sudden now that, 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 um, that, that, that bullshit is now gone, is now erased when they go to an HBCU school and all and say, hold, hold on for a second, wait a minute. Man, I've got folks even from areas that are the same as mine 
who are going to school, they speak with articulation and they're going to be doctors and they're going to be lawyers and they're going to be executives and they're going to be, uh, you know, high level uh, folks of importance. So that's the importance of these black kids. You're not going to be able to get that at an Alabama. You're not going to be able to get that at an Ohio State. You're not going to be able to get that at a Michigan. You're not going to be able to get that at a USC or UCLA or Washington or Oregon or Oregon State. You're not going to be able to get that at a Boise State. You're not going to be able to get that at a Texas. You're not going to be able to get that at an Oklahoma. You're not going to be able to get that on an Oklahoma State. Or should I say, you're not going to be able to get that at the level that you're going to be able to receive that education, not just in the books, but also in life, in terms of learning about yourself, like you are if you're a black man and you go, or a black woman, but if you're a black athlete and you go to an HBCU school. So look, if you're a basketball player, McCor McCor, who was a five-star recruit, he went to Howard and things didn't work out for him for basketball and, and, and he transferred. Mikey Williams, who I think is the class of 2023 for basketball, a couple of years ago when McCorm McCorm made his decision to go to Howard, he was also the one that said, hey, look, man, you know what? I want to be a trailblazer. I want to be that guy to go ahead and do that. I don't know now if he is still considering Howard or A&T or the schools that uh, the HBCU schools that he had interest in, but just hearing these athletes talk about it, I think is uh, promising. Is this going to be all of a sudden now be a situation where Alabama and Oklahoma and Clemson and these guys are going to start you know, shaking in their boots because all of a sudden now the top players in football and basketball are going to be going to HBCUs? No, no. Alabama still going to get their high level of black five-star recruits. Same with Florida State, same with USC, same with Clemson, same with Michigan, same with Ohio State, same with Penn State, same with Notre Dame. So, but it's nice Nice to see what Deion Sanders is doing for the HBCU schools in terms of bringing this in, uh, bringing in this recruit to Jackson State. Now, I think Eddie George is the coach at Tennessee State. Boy, it'd be great. It would be awesome if he could go ahead and maybe he's now more uh, motivated to go ahead and recruit himself a high-level recruit because, again, I'll go back to the same thing. If you're a running back and you want to learn what it's like to be a running back or you want to learn how to play the running back position or you want to maximize your potential and talent at the running back position, uh, damn, Eddie George won a Heisman Trophy. Damn, Eddie George was a first-round draft pick. Damn, Eddie George damn near was a Hall of Fame player who played years upon years upon years in the NFL, was at once one of the more feared running backs in the NFL. So if I'm a guy coming out of high school and I'm 6'3 and I weigh 245 pounds and I've got the skills and I've got the physical attributes like in Eddie George, which better coach can teach me to untap my potential than someone like Eddie George. You can't find anybody like that on the staff at Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan or Oregon or Florida or Georgia or Clemson or Pittsburgh. Can't find anybody there. I don't think anybody on those staffs have someone of the success of a football player like Tennessee State has at their head coach like Eddie George and also, you think about now with the transfer portal, you get a guy who's decommitting from, so I don't know, say an Alabama or one of these top tier programs. 
why wouldn't they look to transfer then to a HBCU school, especially if one of the reasons why he is transferring from the school other than the lack of opportunity and playing time is the fact that he might feel out of place. He might feel uh, awkward in the environment of the university that he's at right now. So you're a black man. If, if, if you're a, a, a football player of any, uh, of any high yolk, and you're sitting there at a large university with 35,000 people and the majority of them are white and you're sitting there talking about, I feel out of place, I, I feel awkward, I feel uncomfortable, I feel lonely, I feel depressed and all these type of things. Uh, the HBCU schools will open their arms and invite you in, no questions asked. You become, well, not no questions asked, but you know, they, they'll, they'll open you with open arms and you become family. And you become family. And again, you learn a lot more about yourself. You learn a lot more about life. And you have the path to not only go ahead and get into the NFL or your ultimate goal, get into the NFL, but also you uh, prepare yourself. Because if you're an immature, lost human being in the NFL, unless you're a person of incredible skill, uh, they're not going to keep you around. Unless you have the skills of a Greg Hardy or uh, Antonio Brown, they're not going to keep you around if you're a knucklehead and you don't know what the fuck you're doing. But if you come into that league and you're mature and you're grown and you're responsible and you're able to do the things as far as what they're asking you to do, not only as a football player, but as a, as a, as a man also, a young man also, you'll stick around. Good character guys are hard to find in the NFL for the most part. But yeah, man, they'll they'll keep you around. So I, I, I applaud the decision. And you talk about HBCU players in the NFL, according to Game Day, Simone Stanley, 18 HBCU players played in the NFL or playing in the NFL this season. You have players from North Carolina A&T, North Carolina Central, Grambling, Alabama State, North, uh, South Carolina State, Albany State, Tennessee State, Norfolk State, Arkansas Pine Bluff, Morgan State up there in Baltimore. The most HBCU alumni playing in the NFL at one time was 32 in 2019. And following the 2021 NFL draft, the most draft picks from an HBCU school were Grambling with 121, Eddie Robinson, Doug Williams, Tennessee State, 117, Jackson State, 101, Southern University at 78, that's down there in Louisiana, and Florida A&M. So if you're at LSU and Ed Orgeron just left and you're not really hip to hear what Brian Kelly is talking about and you want to transfer, why wouldn't you transfer? Why wouldn't you look at a Southern University? Why wouldn't you do something like that? The greatest football player who ever lived went to an HBCU school, thank you very much, by the name of Jerry Rice, who went to Mississippi Valley State from 1981 to 1984, caught passing from Willie Satellite Totten, who lit up the scoreboards before people were lighting up scoreboards nowadays. Walter Payton, the greatest running back, one of the greatest running backs and football players of all time. He went to Jackson State from 1971 to 1974. 34 players from HBCU schools are in the National Football Hall of Fame. That's almost 10% of all players. Brother, let me tell you something. If you can play the game of football, you will not be, you will not be uh, handcuffed you will, your chances will not be lessened by going to an HBCU school. Walter Payton, Jerry Rice, Mel Blount, Alvin Bethea, Willie Brown, Michael Strahan, John Stallworth, Shannon Sharp, Deacon Jones, Charlie Joyner, Char Charlie Joyner, all Hall of Famers who went to HBCU school. So, hey, man, I'm, I'm thinking that possibly, maybe, 
that um, Deion Sanders can do something in terms of put together like an all-star, all-star squad, man. Put together a bunch of guys at Jackson State who, guess what, will start challenging some of the uh, different schools and start putting their name on the map. Because if you can, because of what uh, Coach Prime or Coach Sanders is doing down there, signing his son, Shador Sanders, who was an ESPN 300 recruit in the 2021 class, along with uh, Katron Evans, uh, Quadarius Davis, and Travante Tucker. If Sanders can continue to accumulate this talent, then, man, we're speaking about a situation where they're going to start getting more exposure. They're going to start getting more TV time, and that might influence another four- or five-star recruit to say, well, maybe not Jackson State, but why can't I go to Grambling? Why can't I go to Southern? Why can't I go to uh, FAMU? Why can't I go to uh, some of these other schools and do the same thing that uh, these guys are doing down at Jackson State? So I'll tell you one thing, man. Also, when you're speaking about kids, young men, 18 to 22 years old, walking down a college campus, I'm sorry, the most attractive, the most beautiful females are at HBCU schools. If you think of mine, go down to the campus and walk around at Howard University. My goodness gracious, my brother, Mikel Davis, went to uh, Howard University. And I remember I would kind of sneak off and walk around the campus with him and maybe sneak into a class and one of, one of his classes and take a listen to what the professor was putting down. But walking around that campus... Back there in 1988-89, my goodness gracious, the females walking around that campus were beyond beautiful, were beyond gorgeous, were beyond sexy, were beyond attractive. And guess what? When they opened up their mouth, knowledge, strength, Nubian princesses. It was unflipping believable, man, how absolutely beautiful they are. They were and are. So, yeah, you, you can speak about, you know, Florida State and has up. Chico State at, mm-mm, mm-mm. Woo, the girls at USC. You walk around North Carolina A&T. You go over to Spelman. You go over to Howard. You go to A&T. You go to some of them black colleges. And you walk around that campus. And don't tell me that you ain't going to be falling in love when you go ahead and you take a look at some of them females that are walking around that campus. Unbelievable. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So very quickly, look, Tiger Woods, everyone's talking about, ooh, him and his son, Charlie. How about that? Isn't that wonderful? I still remember what Tiger Woods did. I still remember who Tiger Woods is, is and was. So, you know, good for him that he's spending a day or a tournament hitting it with his child. Nothing else really matters. Good for him. Awesome. But if you're ESPN, could you please spare me the Tiger Woods Father of the Year? Isn't that sweet? Isn't that precious award? Because, you know, not really not really down with that. Not really into it. So, you know, I know what Tiger Woods is and I know what Tiger Woods does. Again, my opinion of Tiger Woods and him being a father who gives a fuck. Tiger Woods, be the best father you can. Tiger Woods, have fun. Golf with your son every day, man. Do what you need to do to make him the best person that he can be. But um, please spare me if you're ESPN, this warm, lovable holiday nonsense about Tiger Woods playing golf with his son. Doesn't that bring back memories? Number one, me and my dad never played golf because we don't play golf, but trying to make that connection to stroke the heartstrings. No, not happening because it's Tiger Woods. Sorry. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I really wanted to go over that because A, I said I was, and B, 
just really quick, I wanted to get back to the HBCU uh, player or the schools um, recruiting HBCU schools, Travis Hunter, the number two cornerback or the number two recruit in the country who's a cornerback flipping his decision to go to Florida State to Jackson State. I also want to say this. There was reports coming out as soon as he signed, right? That, oh man, this is nonsense and this is bullshit and this is terrible, this is horrible because uh, the rumors were going around that Deion Sanders, who has some agreement with Barstool Sports, I don't know if he owns Barstool Sports, I don't know if he's an employee of Barstool Sports, I don't know what it is, but um, that that Barstool Sports, thanks to Sanders, was paying up to $1.5 million for the services of Travis Hunter. And Sanders appeared on ESPN's Keyshawn J. Will and Max uh, program in the morning, and he was talking about, hey, man, I don't even get paid $1.5 billion. That's the biggest lie. That's ridiculous. That's horrible. I say this, man. I don't know if Dion's telling the truth or not, but, but you know what? If he is making that type of money, good, good for him. What's the problem? What seems to be the problem? If this young man, because NIL made it possible for things like that to happen to this young man, What's the big deal? Why all of a sudden now we criticizing Dion, we criticizing this this kid for doing something like this, and we don't criticize Oklahoma, we don't criticize uh, Ohio State, we don't criticize Alabama. What's up with that? We might, you know, tell the story in shock and awe and amazement, like, man, can you believe that? That's unbelievable. That's crazy. That's this, that, and the other. But it's not met with any negative connotations it's not met with any uh it's not met with any type of outrage like somehow some way what Deion sanders if this if Deion negotiated a deal with barstool using his influence whatever relationship that he has with barstool if he made it possible for this kid to make a million dollars even before he played a down of football good for fucking him especially when we're speaking about this kid travis hunter going to an hbcu school you're goddamn right that happened good for him because I didn't hear anybody talk about any noise. I didn't hear anybody talk negatively. I didn't hear any of that bullshit when Spencer Rattler, Quinn Ewers, and Bryce Young all got deals and made big-time money from their NIL dealings. Spencer Rattler had a deal with Raising Cane's, a fast food chicken uh, restaurant who makes wonderful chicken, by the way. Their sauce is outstanding. But he got money from a deal with them. His cards from Fowler are valued uh, what was a 2021 Dodge Ram 1500 TRX that's valued at over $70,000. He was also driving around the Dodge Charger Scat Pack, which was $43,450. I didn't hear anybody, you know, ripping Oklahoma or ripping uh, Lincoln Riley or ripping uh, Spencer Rattler for making all those type of deals. You know, his first partnership was with Cameo, an online service that uh, lets people hire public figures to create personalized videos. For individual users, the price of a video from Rattler was $125. For brands and businesses seeking an endorsement from the star quarterback, the price skyrocketed to $2,500. I didn't hear anybody whining and complaining or questioning the ethics of Rattler, Riley, or Oklahoma. Maybe they did, but I sure didn't hear any of them. And Rattler for the season was one of the biggest disappointments in college football and was benched for poor play and replaced by a true freshman Caleb Williams. Oops. Then transferred to South Carolina at the end of the season. Oops. So that was money not well spent. Speaking about money not well spent, Quinn Ewers. Remember this guy? The guy who's supposed to be the next coming? 
until Arch Manning comes along? Well, according to a source, he had an NIL deal at Ohio State, the uh, the school where he played in one game, took two snaps, then threw a pass, and then he transferred back to Texas. According to sources, he had an NIL deal at Ohio State for $1.4 million. Thank you. He signed a name, image, and likeness deal with GT Sports Marketing for $1.4 million. The contract with uh, the sports marketing uh, place was for three years and is in exchange for autographs. So even before this guy played a fucking down, he signed with businesses to make $1.4 million. I didn't hear anybody criticizing Quinn Ewers. I didn't hear anybody criticizing Ryan Day. I didn't hear anybody criticizing Ohio State. Not one. But oh my goodness gracious, let Jackson State all of a sudden steal one of the players who was supposed to be going to one of the Blue Bloods. Well, then all of a sudden, something has to be wrong. Because a kid of that stature, a kid of that high profile, would never think about going to a HBCU school. They would go to an Alabama. They would go to a Georgia. They would go to a Florida State. They would go to a Florida or an Auburn. They wouldn't go to they wouldn't go to Jackson State. Something must be wrong. There must be some underhanded dealings. No, this ain't 1998, homeboy. This ain't 2017, bitch. We're talking about what's happening right now. Read the letters again. N-I-L. If you don't know, that's name, image, and likeness. They can make as much money as they want to. Bryce Young, Alabama quarterback, won the Heisman Trophy this year. He was supposed to have deals that would make him close to a million dollars before the season started. He had already signed deals using his name, image, and likeness that were worth close to $800,000. No one was sitting there talking about, well, Nick Saban, blah, 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 Nick Saban, this, Nick Saban, that, Alabama, this, Alabama, that, that. Young was presented deals worth well in excess of $1 million. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope, I don't hear any criticism about uh, that situation. And that's stuff that's been reported. I mean, before all of this stuff went down, before all of the, you know, the, the, the rules for NIL laxed and gave student athletes the opportunity to make money off of their name and image, just think about all the underhanded, shady, you know, s- sniveling ways that players could get paid or players could get compensated or players could uh, be taken care of before all of this stuff went down. Even if we kind of read in between the lines of what the NCAA was talking about to where it was, you know, a little bit of gray area in terms of are we, are we doing something right? Are we doing something wrong? This is the rule right here, but he needs to get paid. So how are we going to be able to navigate through this so this person can take care of this person without the NCAA sniffing around to find out what we're doing? Just imagine the things that have been happening at Ohio State, especially during during Urban Meyer's time, right? Imagine what went down in Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and such. Now, these coaches can swear up and down, no, 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 no. We go straight by the Brooks. And look, when you're Alabama and you're, and you're Nick Saban, yeah, I mean, you know, your rep- reputation uh, perceived you. So you don't need to have, you don't have to be desperate. You don't have to have the moral compass of an LSU to uh, get a player. But please, don't tell me that everything was always on the up and up. So again, to even think before the NIL happened that um, everything was above board with some of these guys going to these schools, 
I'm calling out your bullshit. So there you go, man. As I mentioned before, Travis Hunter, enjoyed yourself. And I'm quite sure the young ladies at Jacksonville State, these Nubian princes walking around from all over the world, all over the world, black folks representing black folks from all over the world, along with the mixture of other ethnicities to uh, help you become a man and help you grow and help you mature. Man, fantastic decision. I hope more. I hope more people follow your lead. If you want to go to Alabama to play football, hey man, go for it. I'm not I'm not criticizing those who do that, but uh, you know, depending upon who that person is, sometimes the best thing for him to do is to go to an HBCU school. Again, especially if you're playing football and you stay there three years, you'll be amazed how awesome of a time that you'll have and how great of a football player you'll become. And, and, and guess what? Ask Steve McNair. Well, Steve McNair is no longer with us. If you would have asked Steve McNair, if you would have asked others in terms of going to an HBCU school, they'll find you. If you're awesome, if you're a first-round talent, they'll find you. Believe me, Steve McNair got invited. Did he get invited to the, uh, I don't think he got invited to the Heisman Trophy presentation. I don't know if he did or not, but I remember there was a lot of discussion about that. And he played at Alcorn State. And that was back in the 19, you know, in the 20, in the 20th century. So if the Houston then Oilers can make him the third or fourth pick in the NFL draft, if you're good enough to play, HBCU schools are not going to be, are not going to be a detriment or not going to be a deterrent for NFL teams to, to draft you, especially if you're speaking about a quarterback, because they'll, they'll make, they'll bend every way, shape or form for a quarterback in terms of uh, being drafted, the hope and prayer because of the importance of a quarterback in the NFL. All right, I'm out of here, man. man I want to wish everybody uh, a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, and all those type of things. I want to end the uh, program today with the greatest Christmas song of them all. Hell, man, I'd be playing this song in July. I'd be playing this song in June. I'd be playing this song 12 months out of the year, 344 days of the uh, year. So it's not just a Christmas song, but I don't know why a rapper hasn't taken that right there and used it in one of his songs. Merry Christmas, the greatest, the legend, Donny Hathaway, this Christmas. Again, I want to wish everybody happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Do what you need to do to make it the best holiday season ever. Listening, learning, shutting up, and learning about one another to help this society go in the direction that it needs to go in. Yeah, man. Football time, though. I'm out. Music. It's gonna be together